0: Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. It's Ken here. I've had a great month. Trapped indoors, no possible contact with the outside world, utterly alone. And in all that time, I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been putting the finishing touches to my new EP, Amorous Robot. My synth cave overfloweth. I spoke to Signal Sounds and bought loads and loads of weird-ass things. I have an entire wing dedicated to rare wave stuff. Top drawer analog desktop weirdo since out of Texas. My pre-order is in for the Polyend Tracker. That's dropping next week, hopefully all being well. I've been lusting hard for the ALM Coupe system. Beautiful thing. Matthew's put together an all-in-one system. Ooh, with custom panels. Interestingly, Signal Sounds have the Divkid Oct and Mute modules back in stock, and as you well know, Amorous Robot is in fact a concept album made entirely on Divkid Oct and Mutes modules operating in audio range. It sounds sort of like the sound you might hear after a grenade has exploded near your ear, but that's what robots sound like when they're in love. I think the thing I need to polish off my EP, though, is the module that Jason literally described as the Mad AJH module that makes you sound like you're on the moon. Anyhow, Signal Sounds have all you need to make your electronic music EP dreams come true. Visit their website on the internet at signalsounds.com. The website is signalsounds.com. Why. Why. Why Why do we sleep? Do hmm. Don't know. Still trying to work that out. Uh, Yet we continue to bleep as many of us are at home. Bleeping at home. Mate, I hope your home bleeping is going okay. And you've probably been home for some time now. Uh, This is written in the age of COVID-19. And uh, in various stages of COVID-19, depending on what country you're in here in Britain, COVID-19 is off the menu. Uh, the government has decided that COVID-19 does not exist anymore. So it's time for us all to come out and start French kissing each other. And Lord knows, I believe what the government told me. <laughs> Those government guys really do seem to have a real bead on it, given the death count in this nation. So, um, yeah, cool. I will be savouring the fact that as an electronic musician, I have to spend lots of time inside. Let's do more of that. So, I hope your lockdown is okay. If you're not feeling very productive, I hope you're at least calm and content, and that you maybe have the option of a walk here and there. I read a really good quote. After a day's walk, everything has twice its usual value. Anyway, enough of walks. Let's talk about synthesizers. You'll probably have seen that I have been making videos about synths, uh, notably the Moog Subharmonicon and the Make Noise No Control or O Control. If you've not seen those, please go check them out. And the probably the most mad thing was being invited by Moog to go on their YouTube channel, literally. Log into their YouTube channel, which is a slightly terrifying thing to be allowed to do. Uh, obviously, with a very special passcode that I'm sure they've changed. Well, it definitely must have changed by now. And do a live stream using the Subharmonicon Mother Defam DFAM stack that I've, I've acquired, Moog have given me. That stack, it's a stack and a half. I mean, it is quite incredible. I love the Defam, as you well know, but to have like Mother and Subharmonicon is like to have a Moog Groovebox. I've been sort of thinking about that, like, why... With the exception of the Korg Monotribe, weirdly, where are the analogue grooveboxes? You know, the things that are like Electribes. So specifically, they have drums and voices as well, but all analogue in their voicing, not digital. Uh, not that it really should matter, but... But you know what I mean? Where's the analogue version of that? I don't know if I'm being really dumb, and there is one. Answers in the comments, please. Anyhow, I apologise for the long wait between bleeps. COVID-19 has made it rather difficult to go and meet people. So I've been working on remote podcasting systems. Well, I haven't been making them, but I've been researching them and I've been trying some. And I have a couple of bleeps in the bag. Let's hope that regular programming can continue. And today I'd like to introduce Mr. Gaz Williams. Bloody heck. Heck and Worms. Gaz, you may well know, is a person who appears on Sonic State's podcast and is in Sonic State videos. Sonic State being the legendary British media empire run by our father, Nick Bats. And Gaz is just a wonderful, wonderful character who I'm sure you are aware of. But of course, if you're familiar with Gaz's background, Sonic State is only sort of since 2010. Gaz has a very, very long and interesting background and really... I think you best describe Gaz as a, well, he describes himself as a technologist and a bassist and a musician and a mastering engineer. Gaz is all of these things. And perhaps most famously, in terms of the popular world, Gaz is a bassist and has played on stage for very famous and interesting people. David Rhodes, Carl Barrett, Mark Armand, and a particular note to myself, the mighty Carl Hyde of Underworld, who we talk about in this episode. Gaz has toured with Carl um, played on some of the biggest stages in the world. And Gaz especially also is a founding member of Charlotte Church's late-night pop dungeon outfit, which is a, if you're not familiar with it, live festival darling mash-up cover band party fun time experience, which I am yet to experience and feel I've genuinely missed out on something. In Charlotte's own words, it's the most fun a human can have without being forced fed drugs and alcohol. Uh, they basically mash up songs and do a kind of mad, crazy set list in celebration of all things pop and music, but in a really sort of crazy, psychedelic, mad out, fun, fun way, you know, in the way that it's supposed to be fun and silly and like over the top and everyone's supposed to be having a laugh. And Gaz is a founding member. So that, I hope, sets the tone somewhat. If you've seen Gaz, be uh, interviewed or be sort of uh, appear in things. He is an extremely amiable and effusive, enthusiastic and generally wonderful, cuddly person. He is very, very interesting and very interested in both technology, people, music and the world in general, and is busy living it as best he possibly can. Um, And if for those of you concerned about social distancing, I might like to point out that this interview was actually conducted in 2019, the balmy days, uh, in the words of Charlie Brooker, 200 billion thousand million years ago, a.k.a. about a few months ago. Um, You know, it was the day before I went to Adrian Utley's house. I visited Gaz Williams' house um, and up in his sweltering, sweltering loft Uh, you can see I have my uh, trousers rolled up in order to not melt from heat we just had a sprawling chat I have met Gaz on many occasions and hung out with him I fondly recall kebabs devoured on Berlin Street corners at about three or four o'clock in the morning Uh, and perhaps he won't mind me mentioning on one of the most sort of leery of such occasions Gaz, I sort of bid him adieu as he sort of shambled off into the into the uh, berlin tube system and the following day missed his flight rock and roll gaz god bless him that's probably the tamest of any gaz williams story that can be told Uh, i will leave the rest up to your imagination So much. Uh, So, in fact, I've had to cut most of this podcast out in order for it to be uh, broadcastable. Uh, So, in fact, it does start in mid-flow. We are beginning this talk in mid-conversation, talking about Charlotte Church's Pop Dungeon, which, of course, Gaz is a founding member. And I will talk to you more afterwards. First, let's hang out with Gaz. Thanks.
1: it's been described as a kind of live version of too many djs where where you know um and i i was quite i was there from the beginning so i'm i'm sort of like a founder member really and uh and uh, and a bunch of my ideas were kind of brought on board really which is quite nice because i'm kind of i'm like the kind of 70s prog guy really (laughs) (laughs) i was bringing some of that in and the example of that would be. we had a crack at doing uh, Don't Let Go by On Vogue, which is a bit of a 90s soul band. Yeah. It's a great track. Uh, and I don't know why I did it. I think maybe because I was wearing a King Crimson T-shirt, but I just went into 21st century schizoid man midway through it. And the drummer, uh, Davey Newington, of Boyazuga fame, which is a band that's just doing the business now. We've lost Davey because he's... Right. He was too good for you. He's too good too for us. Good for you, he's off on his own career now. Um, he kind of cottoned on to what i was doing mm-hmm. and started playing to me johnny on the guitar also jumped on to what i was doing charlotte being the consummate professional carried on singing yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, so, so we're going
1: down 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 you know and with a oh it really in no way works <laughs> but it worked of course it <laughs> is
0: yeah. amazing like it, it absolutely shouldn't I love work i think you were just like how does that work if you're on stage and go do you know what gonna play a different <laughs> song right and now This was, this was, this, was in, this was in our very first rehearsal oh okay okay yeah. okay okay and, okay, and similarly I, I thought you did this live on stage but uh, <laughs> <I was right. laughs> well, we
1: were looking at um doing uh, sugar babes uh, overload oh, yeah, with, yeah which is a great yeah it's great i, a great love, I
0: unashamedly I loved that
1: tune of, when i was and i was kind teenager. of thinking this is a bit like white rabbit by jefferson airplane is it? So, we, were, so we, we fused it together and sort of started, and it sounded like White Rabbit, and then and start bringing sugar babes over it. Oh, they just worked a treat. Yeah. And it sounded really great. So those those kind of ideas mash-ups. kind of mashups.
0: But um, but also It's the sense of fun as well, which I think yeah. is is so so often lost. It's like fun, fun shows where you can see the band are having a laugh. Yeah and the music is conceived for fun. Yeah. It's like I think that can with dance music as well. There's a mm. lot of very serious dance music. Yeah. But there is also a wonderful theme of dance music that is meant is still like I let no one forget that Dancing in a club all night is supposed to be fun. It's meant to be fun. <laughs> We're yeah. meant to be having fun yeah. here. Not
1: not not just standing around austerely, just sort of yeah. trying to see what's on his laptop screen. Just like, yeah. <laughs> like you're meant to be like laughing and smiling and like, this is yeah. fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, the thing about what always did me in, because I was like, you know, in the early 90s, you know, the bands I was in just became, you know, like rave just kind of made most bands in Britain obsolete overnight, mm. you know, so, so it felt. How did you, you know?
0: cope with the, did the rave sort of? Drought, or did you embrace it fully? No, like, I don't
1: know. I, three. I, had, I had trouble with it at first because, especially in the early 90s, where it was just like kind of a very kind of unmusical hardcore. <laughs> and it just like, you know, would go to these raids and it was no musical enjoyment to have. You know, you had to be pilled off your box yeah, yeah. to enjoy it, you know. And I, I was too skinned to actually ever be there, that. So I would just be stabbed around bored um, and also kind of a bit annoyed. Yeah, well. Some, something massive happened that really affected uh, music, live music, and and still happens to this day. And that was that because the dance music was like you know the bass drum, like four on the floor, was just maxed out. Mm. It was like the volume coming out of the PA was kind of f- always on full max. Yeah. It's like yeah. everything's on full red line. What so like understand? the DJ would play, and then a band would come on, and the band would sound scrawny and mm. weak compared. And this, and, and one of the negatives of this now is that you go and watch live bands play. The kick is always mixed, like massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you go and watch bands and you can't hear a lot of the detail because it's just being obscured by the kick. And the, and the kick has been sort of boosted up mm. to make it... Mixed as dance music, basically. Mixed as dance music. It's just that's how it is. And it's some... I know some sound engineers who absolutely hate this and are doing their best yeah. to try and, you know can counter it really, um, but of course, like you know, the PA systems were set up with a massive sub system sub woofers and stuff mm. to, de- you know, uh, to deliver that. And I think the audience also are kind
0: of used to hearing this enormous kind of low mm.
1: sub energy.
0: It's a bit like with the when CDs come out, and you've got the ability to have mm. kind of more d- a freedom of dynamics that mm. wasn't possible in vinyl. Like yes. I was listening to the lectures with Mandy Parnell talking about you know, when she first started out, she's mastering for vinyl, and she's like, well, there were restrictions, you know, you couldn't do certain things, and you had to make compromises based on the length of a track would affect the quality, because it was the width of the groove, is that right? So, so like, the width of the, you know, the longer it is, and that's why, like, Michael Jackson um, is in tears, because Thriller sounded terrible when they first did it, they had to chop, like, ten minutes or something out of it to shorten it.
1: The closer you get to the spindle, the less bass you can have on the the record so really yeah 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 so typically album sequencing would be you'd put your kind of fattest juiciest tracks on the outer on the outer edge album craft has kind of gone i mean in in many ways the cd kind of killed album craft in a way because a single platter you know initially cds were limited to 72 or 73 minutes and then eventually they would go up to nearly 80 minutes but um for a single listen that's just kind of way too long. Yeah. Whereas you know a side of vinyl would be around twenty minutes or so, um, which is great. just right. just yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So just right. So so your whole kind of um, sculpting of of an album um, with a CD they just became too unwieldy, and there was this ridiculous thing. And I and I can hold my hand up and say I've been. You're a, you're for a mastering engineer as well. So, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. well, this is later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm talking about back in the 1980s. It's when they would buy fun. an album, when they would buy an album... What would often... I mean, CDs are the most expensive. You know, vinyl was a lot cheaper than CD back then, which is kind of weird now. Mm. It's, it's a, CD is almost a devalued. Yeah, yeah. People are selling their CD collections by weight. <laughs> Have you yeah, seen that? No. Yeah, I but I'm it's not like a, surprised. Quid, a quid a kilogram or something.
0: That's how I love so to buy like music.
1: Bin bag of CDs are going off, you know, and they're getting, hey, 15
0: quid. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, 300 albums, cherished, yeah, album yeah, collections for, just, techno five pence a sack <laughs> come on get your techno. come on planet of techno yeah.
1: <laughs> and um so but what would happen is you'd buy an album based on how many tracks there was and what the running length was yeah and if a cd was like sort of only like like less than 40 minutes long you know it was like, Do you oh, think it would oh, be rubbish it, yeah, yeah it was like it, it didn't represent good value for money fair yeah so and this really affected things so what happened then was um you know this idea of all killer no filler sort of went out the mm. window, and and things were being bolstered just to get the running order, yeah, yeah, like just to get more stuff. So albums then from and this started happening kind of about eighty seven eighty eight. It started happening and and then continued on from there. That our album lengths were you know typically. 70 odd minutes long, you know, because
0: there was 74 on a CD, it's like yeah. a one upmanship of
1: and really like a double album typically would be around 80 to 90 minutes long. A double album, but you know, so you're getting almost up to double album on a single disc, mm. so um, you know, it, and then you'd have to have this weird thing that like classic double albums were a little bit too long to go onto a single disc, so they would either lop off some tracks
0: to get it down to a single disc or. It'd double double it
1: was super expensive double disc
0: it yeah double disc it <laughs> it's interesting that gigs don't last or tend not unless you're a very like you know it's a very expensive ticket like a gig mm. is typically an hour like that's how long you play for is that right i mean that is right isn't it like you would say as a general yeah, rule of thumb as a as a sort of more a, name a, band. a younger a younger band i mean
1: if you go and see a classic band i mean it's unbelievable but then
0: you would expect yeah like and some of these uh, three hours yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah you know i mean like, like the Stones would play for a good three hours, maybe. And these yeah. guys are in their late 70s now. <laughs> it's
0: quite bonkers, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I suppose what they're charging for a ticket. And also mm. just because you piss so many people off because you've got too many hits. <laughs> people are like, I expected to hear this, yeah. This, this, yeah, this, yeah. this, 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 and this. And this. Like um, you
1: did touch there, though, on me being a mastering engineer. Yes. And I've done this for 20 20- something years now and it's the Sennheiser HD 650s <laughs> yeah. Mark um, of quality Mark of the the master yeah. Right. yeah I mean yeah these yeah are pretty good yeah. for just a you know they're not particularly exciting to listen to, as like the General X, you know the General X are sort of you know they had their reputation for sort of not hyping the music you know truthy and, you know truthy yeah this scenario now, and really can't quite get to the bottom of it, it was like a few years ago there was this declaration from Bob Katz that the mass, that loudness Wars had been won because of apple's uh, adherence to the um essentially to. Yeah, you know, what's become now the loudness units, you know, aiming at this sort of minus 14 luffs. Lufs, Yeah, luffs. Um,
0: I don't, now... Yeah, I've never really understood that.
1: Right. So what's happened now is that the streaming services like Spotify and Amazon and, um, you know, they have these, um, like, auto-normalizing. Mm. So, uh, So if you're doing, like, you know, like CD can take an awful lot of volume. You can go to, like, minus 5 RMS really loud and in fact we're seeing albums you know even minus four and uh, a friend of mine was saying yesterday that there's some dance music's coming in at minus two rms which is just ludicrous you know you, you you're talking when you look at the waveform it's the sausage it's just, yeah it's yeah a yeah. Sausage. It's, yeah just like a featureless sausage yeah. you know like so you're consuming it like eating a constant massive sausage
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. um but uh um, That's only taken 25 <laughs> minutes just to, <laughs> to get to that point. Um, but yeah. that, uh, so so really, there's a guidelines now mm. that if you master, the idea being if you do your loud, your overly loud masters, um, what will happen is that these algorithms will take off a lot of the volume. Mm.
0: So they're, they're they penalise you. So, so
1: Yeah. yeah. There's a good yeah. website that you can use called loudnesspenalty.com, set up right. by Ian Shepard, who's uh, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: He's a, a blogger master. and excellent. Yeah, yeah. He has a really good, he's yeah. a really good knowledge sharer. Yeah, great yeah.
1: knowledge sharer, definitely. Uh, and what you can do there is it's like a website, but you can drag an audio file onto it, and it will analyse the audio file, and it will tell you, how much each Ooh. of these services oh. are going to knock off the gain on there. I still... Right. So it'll tell you. And the thing is, though, they use different algorithms. Like Spotify uses an algorithm that no one else uses, although they are going to be changing their algorithm soon. So I'm not sure how different that's going to mean. But um, you're sort of seeing, like, a, a typically loud master. Like, let's say you aim into around minus um, five minus five 5.5 RMS, which is a loud master. That's yeah. almost, like, around the current standard for the last... Ten years or so, uh, you know, as the software has got better with look ahead um, limiting and all the various other kind of um, digital tricks. Mm. That, yeah, you you couldn't really achieve that in the past. So you listen to modern music and it's just mm-hmm. you know, and listen to old classic music and it just sounds it so breathes different. Yeah, yeah, and but it also sounds kind of weaker as well. If you like in the car, do you mean the old stuff sounds old weaker. stuff sounds yeah, weaker? Sounds weaker yeah. Like, like, yeah, of like, and you see, typically, if you're driving in the car because of all the road noise that you. They have to get to um, modern people. Oh, you know, they want it louder. So, the, this loudness penalty will say, yeah, and you know, like Amazon Music might be, might take off 4.4 4 decibels, and um, Spotify might take off 4.2 decibels, uh, Apple might take off three decibels, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So, rather than trying to go for that volume, let's retain a bit of dynamics mm. and then you'll get it playing yeah. out of those streaming services at, at a full range. Right. Whereas, you know, it's sounding at the same volume as this overly loud stuff, but because that's had all the dynamics squished out of it, it doesn't sound as punchy mm. or as kind of lively as the music. So now the problem I've had though, is I've advised clients that I'll say, well, look, you know, we can try and work to this minus 14 lofts. Um But I'll tell you now, it will sound a little quieter than maybe what you used to and try and reassure them that this is the right thing to do virtually every single time people come back and say i know i know, what I you know say- you've I know said, what said this I know, I know what you said but can you chuck it? Can you put it back up? Uh, so I was curious. So, um, together with um, my good friend Robbie Bronneman, who's mm. a great music producer, uh, yesterday, we, we carried out a bunch of tests and we took a bunch of modern music. We were working on a project that's kind of, and we took some music that was in the same sort of boat um, by some established art, artists like Muse and The Killers and looked at some of their latest singles. We did a digital grab of yeah. the music and we ran these tests on it and minus for rms really loud mm. and these are the big releases this year and this was taking this off uh apple music so mm. this wasn't off cd like there's an argument that you go well here's your cd master here's your streaming master your cd master you can go but are you, are you
0: hearing the version that has been run through the service and has had another layer of normalization no, applied? Uh, dis-
1: with that with that uh, with um within um like uh itunes or apple music or whatever it's called now you can disable what's called sound check and therefore you'll you hear get it kind of as, as it word. is. Right, as, right, right. You know the, the, but these big artists are not doing it. So this declaration of the loudness war being won is isn't actually true. No, it's not happening. If really. like the major artists are kind of ignoring that and still going for the volume thing.
0: Uh, yeah, however, as a mastering engineer, you have customers to please. The bottom line is like, it's and it's what they want. And especially if yeah. news tell you, hmm? look. This is, yeah. Turn it up, mate. Yeah. It's like, all
1: right. So uh, that of it was in our decision of how to finalize this particular project. And it's kind of weird because you kind of go,
0: well, you know. Do you think that these are, th- are they like such small differences, like, you know, like agonizing over, does two or three dB of EQ on this particular snare drum, is that going to, it was a Paul White phrase, which I've forever, like, I cherish, where he says, but will it affect sales? <laughs> Does this decision that you've agonised all afternoon over, will it make the difference to someone buying the tune or not? Of course, no one's going to buy the no tune. No one buys it anyway. No, well, that's, uh, that's so, the buy-the-buy. But will someone yeah. like it or not?
1: Really, we want our babies to sort of like have their long flowing hair and they're kind of, to be know, free and free as easier. opposed to sort of
0: having a flat top, you know. You should use this analogy, like, we know you love your children, but if you love something, you've got to set it free, and that involves allowing it some dynamics. uh, True in humans as well. Um, But, I mean, you know, it's curious because,
1: um, really, music is not competitive music it shouldn't be competitive no indeed you know and for people to be feeling kind of insecure that their music isn't
0: as loud as, that's very common you know, isn't it i mean completely every common. one of us is, yeah. is, has that fear but no i know you're yeah, absolutely yeah. right and yeah. again i'm just parroting things i read on the internet but someone who's mm. such a right on thing where he was like you know i've the, the best thing i've ever been able to do the most grown-up thing i've ever been able to do is to transmute my feelings of jealousy at seeing other people's success and seeing them as collaborators, and seeing and being and forcing myself to instead see it as I'm really glad that that person's doing really well because I yeah. really like them. Yeah, yeah. And it's that whole notion of like the rising tide raises all ships. You know, it's like if people are successful and doing well, it's like the YouTube thing of like if you what you do is you do make music, but you also tell people exactly how you do music. It's like giving away your secrets. And, it's, and yeah. it's, you know, you have, to, you have to embrace the idea that by telling other people how you do things does not, like, make your work less valuable or cheapen it or um, mean that people are going to be ahead of you. It's like, you know, we're all, we're all benefiting from a system where information is free and available online and people like yourself yeah. make YouTube videos like, here's how this tool works and, yeah. and enable someone to just get up running and make some music. It's like that's good, and and sort of. Mm. So it's yeah. Yeah, there's it's definitely one.
1: Yeah, there's been a big. There has been a big sea change in this thing. I mean, you know, um, like they say, knowledge is power, and mm. people typically, you know, would never div- divulge their own sort of working methods and keep it all very, very kind. And, and it, this still does go on for sure. Uh, but I, I you know, I've always been someone who uh, who actually loves sharing things, you know, um, and to and to you know to encourage and. Mm. And ultimately, I always want people to make kind of better music. So if I, you know, any advice or anything that I'm saying, hopefully is to try to, you know, encourage a better thing that Mm. will make us all happy. And in a way, I've been guilty of loud mastering for sure. And again, as you say, this Mm. is like giving the client what they're asking for, you know, and they're not actually necessarily asking for any kind of um, philosophical or, you know, you know they they just want the job you've been
0: hired to do a job
1: hired to do a do job. The job do the job make it louder <laughs> you know? that's the job yeah but i mean it's interesting i did some you know because like you can get these uh like automated services for mastering like lander, lander that right. uses um yeah. algorithmical approach to uh have you tried Lander? Yeah, I, 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 I thought I'd do a little heads because you can do like a. You can have a. a did you do track. like you do a track and then let Lander do one? Did, did. you do that? Yeah, I did. That, yeah. So what
0: was the. What was the I
1: didn't think the Lander one did very much actually. Really? Um, my reaction, you know, I think Lander can do a certain amount of good. I mean, like, like Ozone, which has gone to the next level now because it uses machine learning and it's got this kind of mastering assistant now, which you can run the music through Ozone interestingly choose whether you want it for streaming mm. or for cd or for reference it'll take a, a sort of general look to it and then you can go in and fine tune it and do that matching eq mm. and and that's actually quite interesting what they've done as well is that they've got loads and loads you can you can bring in now lots of examples in various different styles and then and use that. Um, as uh, as a basis for you know matching mm. and it's very clever what it can do and, and the reason I was mentioning this so is that sort of in many ways the mastering engineer's job is almost gone not for small, not for. I know. Well, it's been. I mean, for me, it's been my, <laughs> it, bread, it's and it's been my bread. and butter It's been my bread and butter. Right. Yeah, absolutely, right. it's been my bread and butter for.
0: Yes. Yeah, I 20, didn't know that you are a master. I've done it for twenty years. I know you was years, like Gaz done, Williams, like yeah, the YouTube idiot. person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <A> YouTube videos. YouTube videos. To set on your. YouTube. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, I know. Um, and again it, it, well, it was something I was just doing just to just to supplement my music career yeah, really. Yeah. And I mean for years my I was gonna mm, ask
0: how are you able to live as a musician in this year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Yeah,
1: I mean only just. I mean by I'm my skin you know, and I've, teeth. yeah, by my skin and my teeth. I'm you know, I'm really I'm not someone who's ever really made an awful lot of money. I've just yeah, yeah. about managed to get by. But I've chosen to only ever work within music. So I made mm. uh, a decision oh, a long time ago, uh but then i've diversified and i you know and i've done all sorts of things within that and i do a lot of music production you know i've been involved with sonic state since 2010 Mm. Uh, and you know most people who know me through the internet know me through my sonic state endeavors yeah um you know one of the things i think is wonderful about sonic state is um when the world wide web went live in 1993 sonic state were there with a news group developing their website in 1995 so is their that, website's been live since ninety five. You know, you, you know, sound on sound, and, and the great Paul White, as you mentioned mm. earlier, you know, uh, have also had a similarly you know very long careers in kind of career. that sort of
0: thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was Nick, Nick's interest? He was, th- like, he was always a musician and doing stuff. Yeah. Was just like there should he just had be a some music record, didn't he?
1: Aspect. Nick had a huge international smash hit in uh, nineteen ninety, was it? And um, with um, Tom Steiner, he was DNA, Susan Vega.
0: Yeah, that's Nick Bat.
1: Well, it's <laughs> Susan Vega. <laughs> oh, okay, but what but happened was that was, a, Nick, that that was involved, an album track from a mid-80s Susan Vega album. And Nick and his um, partner at the time, they grafted a beat onto right. it because it was just early days of that yeah, sort yeah, of thing yeah. being possible. And did a dance version. Did like, a dance did version a of dance it. Version. And it was an international smash hit. Like a
0: Euro pop. Oh, it was global, global. smash. Globe? What? Yeah. Well, I know it. I mean, the fact... Oh, God, yeah, it's a global smash. How amazing Mm. that you can Mm. infiltrate, like, that's the power of music. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) But, of course, because Nick wasn't really in the writing credits of it, Susan
0: Vega did extremely well out of (laughs) that. Nick had to start a small media empire.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You
1: know, and he got loads of... You know, he did loads of high... uh, On the back of that, you know, they were flavour of the... Month maybe mm. you know and doing like sort of mixes remixes for Madonna and lots of big artists and stuff you know, but also Nick was uh, like a kind of long term collaborator with Will Gregory. Mm. And, yeah, you know, I knew about the Goldfrapp. Yeah, 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 like Nick's been you know heavily involved in a lot of the Goldfrapp stuff. So you know, and Nick, as like his Friday fun sessions kind of attest to, has a
0: very beautiful musical aesthetic <laughs> yeah, to him he's very good at what he, he like, is like you're like he is. The, like the, the overriding comment on those yeah. is. I could have listened to that all day. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, he, nice. he's very musical and it's, he's got a great ear. Yeah, year. I and suppose he doesn't have a lot of time to put. Actually, ironically, work on music. I suppose no, that's or, yeah. yeah, true. But In I mean, I've been Friday. encouraging
1: him to do things, yeah. you know, and I encouraged him to do some live gigs because mm. um, I've been a gigging musician. Really, yeah, yeah. that's been my main thing, and I tour and I've played with lots of people over the
0: years, uh, and I've had. Um, you were like a band band. Music. Because oh, yeah. you are bassist first and foremost, like synths and technology. Ah, came, no. Or that... would you consider yourself like you, as a kid, you had like gadgets? Yeah, actually, it's, uh, that's a good question
1: because I've had a kind of parallel music, technology, bass playing thing always. Uh, so, like when I started playing bass in 1987, where I think you were, you were
0: three? Or? I was I'm born in 1983. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Still <laughs> <laughs> so have to yeah, be. Yeah.
1: Um, and. Sorry, but yeah. around that same time um because both my parents were in the education world um, they were teachers or they, they were teachers the but world. they both of them became uh quite interested in the application of technology into um and certainly to, to do with special needs ah, my mother yeah. was uh working with like partially sighted children and came up with this idea when because home computers were just starting to appear and they were and the BBC, mm, the BBC micro. did the BBC yeah, yeah. computer, yeah, which was went to pretty much I think all schools in Britain, and it was part of this kind of education drive to get people, you know, quite right quite mm. rightly, seeing that computers were going yeah, to be yeah. that kind of future of the world, you know. Um, so the BBC Micro was a, you know, it was almost like an institution in itself. And that computer, one of the things that was brilliant about the BBC Micro was it had every single conceivable interface port on it. It's ridiculous just mm. how, oh, you know, how the one thing that wasn't on it, though, that they got right with the Atari ST was there was no MIDI ports on there. Yeah, yeah, Atari
0: ST had MIDI built in. Yeah, and that was yeah. like,
1: that was to do with, I think it was the son of, uh, of, one of the designers of the ST encouraged him to put MIDI ports on there, <laughs> which was a very smart move mm. because the ST lost a lot of ground to the Amiga because it wasn't as powerful. But, yeah, yeah. but having those MIDI ports built in was just... A and
0: hardwired.
1: There was absolutely... Yeah. yeah, never faster MIDI. But the BBC had all these interface ports on there. So what it meant was so you could build a lot of peripherals and had various ways to attach it to the BBC. And one of the peripherals that came out was this system called Music 500. And essentially it was a it was a featureless block uh, really features like all great ideas no <laughs> controls on it whatsoever no right. controls not a sync, not even a volume control it had a DIN plug on the back but not for MIDI audio when, when DIN plugs are used for audio wow. and wow. that was the only way like on old reel-to-reels and stuff yeah yeah. yeah yeah the only way to get audio out was out of this DIN socket but it was an 8-voice FM synth
0: oh what year it was 87 did you say I
1: got one in 87 was it yeah. Yamaha
0: it was it must have
1: been um, no way it couldn't ooh, it was a so was it I think it was a 4
0: 4 operator.
1: It was a but you could do eight There was a sequencer and you could do eight channel sequencing with an FM synth. Wow. And um there was an uh, program
0: the voices.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and initially, you know, you'd have to write it in um you would sequence just in lines of code. And that's how I started doing it. But then there was an update to it which is called Music 5000. It's a hybrid Music 5000. 10 times better. For me. <laughs> ten, ten, the block was 10 times bigger. But that brought a GUI to it. Right.
0: And um and it was great. So how did you awesome. how did you so Wait, hmm. back up. You had a BBC Micro. You yes. had an 8-voice FM synth. Yes. And were you doing, like, sort of amazing, like... Well, you making rock music with these. <laughs> I was making. <laughs> there
1: was well, yeah, there was this kind of like uh, this kind of scene, you know, a little bit like the kind of what they call a demo scene, you know, and the yeah, yeah. Right. And really tracker the scene and the tracker scene, yeah. you know, got really big in Amiga, certainly. Uh, but a lot of people, were, you know, who who had these, you know, so you just get discs of like kind of popular hits, like five and a quarter that inch, would, inch that were floppies that, that were programmed in, in in on this, and so it so, sounded you, good. What were you making like then again? <laughs> oh, do you know, I was making this really strange music, and, and <laughs> I was say. gutted. when my parents sold the house and they cleared everything out they threw it all out they threw all the discs away you have cassettes or any
0: like did you know you never play. bounced out you just kind of hit play and sat back and I think part at. of the
1: problem was because I had this din socket the only way I could connect it was through this really strange array of like adapters but my mum thought oh ah. you know big five and a quarter inch floppy disc oh, it all went and I would love I mean there's no way to in get in that back in your mind back. do you remember
0: any of the tunes
1: I remember them and I remember them being brilliant
2: Of course they were.
1: and that's all yeah, you need yeah. to know and, I, and it was funny because the computer was in a cupboard it was literally a cupboard I used to shut the doors in the cupboard and sit in the cupboard <laughs> and you know yeah. uh, um, that's amazing but this was at the same time as I was learning to play the bass guitar so both of these things happened more or less at the same time so I think my why, why do you think you were curious to
0: play I suppose computers were cool and exciting. I was into computers yeah, yeah yeah and I was into music and I think I just sort of you did well to like maintain the sort of to have be interested in like bass guitars and cool music Whilst also being into computers, I was just into computers. <laughs> I don't know if the music I was into it was considered cool in any way. In fact, because oh, it was more proggy. Well, I like, started
1: getting into playing bass, and yeah. at the time in the late eighties, the bass bass guitar as a sort of art had really kind of mm. kind of
2: slap gone bass though.
1: Slap bass was big. Yeah, yeah, but I was a bit intimidated because I couldn't do it, so yeah. I sort of would just criticise it. Do you you like, know, I love a bit of slap bass. Do you? oh yeah, I'll give you a little slap I bass. Think, uh, please do. I'll one think of the kind of cliché slap basses is is the Seinfeld. Seinfeld yeah, yeah, yeah. theme tune, Seinfeld, yeah, which yeah. wasn't actually it was, was that a, like a DX7? It or? was a sample, wasn't right, it? Yeah, yeah, But there's a guy on on the internet who's learned to play it on the bass, but in a rigid, it, it kind a of sampled way, a, sampled way. So it's kind of a really weird sort of full yeah. circle there. Yeah. So I, you know, I started getting into 70s music because of like actually the bass lines and stuff were, were a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when you're 16, I was just I was just preoccupied with trying to be the fastest bass player in the world, which was a very stupid. <laughs> occupation because no one wants to listen to fast Fast bass. you know in fact as i got a bit older and maybe started to experiment with other things shall we say start you know and i started listening to like dub reggae and stuff with the slowest bass in the world I kind of started to see the error in my ways, really.
0: You know? I think it's good, to, but that's giving you a sort of Jedi training. If mm. you can play fast, you can play slow. Or is it mm. harder to play slow? It is harder to play slow than it and is to hard. keep
1: that feel really nice.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I, I really
1: love the mixture of the two. You know, I love the mixture of the technology and I love the thing about human feel. And this has been like a massive part of my music production, and in terms of, uh, and I've been really exploring some great things in recent years since the software has become able to do some things, which is actually Melodyne Four when that came out only a couple of years ago had just the most brilliant tempo map extraction from non-clicked material, right? Uh, And I made three albums. I produced three albums in two thousand and seven, which two thousand and seventeen, which used some of these techniques. uh, it's incredible. This is so. This uh, this guy called Dave Green, um, he's a solo acoustic guitar singer songwriter type. And I, I asked me to produce an album of his. And we sat in my garden and he played me through his songs. And I was enjoying his natural rhythms mm. and how you know you can do very subtle kind of um ret- or you know like rit- where you just slow down at the end of a phrase mm. and and like an acoustic musician who who's used to playing unaccompanied and play will Naturally take all sorts of liberties with, fast. Yeah, 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 you know. And really also in like classic rock music, um, a, a good example is um, Stay Away to Heaven, you know. Stay Away to Heaven, if you're to tempo map it, you know. If, if they'd have done it, if that had been produced in the 1990s, it would have mm. been clicked. It would have yeah, been yeah, locked yeah. into a fixed tempo for the yeah. whole thing. And lots of rock music has. And then um, the Pro Tools era, sort of band music, rock music, Music, well, not just rock music, m- musician music, as opposed to electronic music, has been slave to the grid. And dynamics, we tend to think of as soft to yeah, loud. volume. Dynamics is also a front and back, you know, yeah. in terms of being able to accelerate and decelerate. Uh, I used to know this, well, I still know him, this great drummer. I used to play with him, rather. Yeah. Uh, and he had a beautiful sense of, of pushing and pulling time. Yes. As a dynamic. Yes. And, and, you know, oh. But he was hated by music producers because he was terrible. <laughs> he, was he couldn't play to the click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing was, all the producers wanted him to, everyone wanted to be on a click because it makes all the snipping, copying and pasting and all that, you know, all yes. that stuff.
0: It, you can't do it if if it's... So, all, uh, when, when we were uh, in Berlin for Superb Oath, um, we went to see an absolutely stunning drummer... Um, whose name escapes me? is like a lad from London. I remember he did exactly that, and mm. he really played with that concept to the point where there were bits where he would do it, and he would be like, and then everyone would just like la- laugh, but but was like not laughing at him, but genuinely laughing with delight about how you could see him playing with time and and mm. and allowing things to slow and fast oh, and to nice. slow and fast and to slow and fast. Yeah, and the band were they were. Fucking like mm-hmm. you know, literally turn you know goats' piss into gasoline sort of quality of musicianship, where you're just like, and there were a lot of what they were doing as well, where he was he was incorporating like elements of rave music and like jungle. In, but bringing it into jazz. So it's the kinds of chord transpositions, which are the kinds of things you can do on a key step, mm-hmm. that you do naturally, where it just shifts yeah, everything yeah. up, it doesn't respect the key. key yeah. yeah, exactly. And they were doing that, but he was playing it, mm. Like the keyboardist would be playing that, mm-hmm. and, then, and then this guy would be doing breaks, mm. but he would be doing the kinds of break cut-ups mm. that would be done in jungle music. Like, you know, not the kinds of rhythms that actual drummers would necessarily choose to play mm-hmm. naturally. And it's just like... Those kinds of things where you're seeing young people taking, you know, who are so bloody at you know what yeah. they're doing and taking and just, just putting styles into a like a mill and just yeah. turning them over. Well, like, it's
1: interesting you mentioned young people, great. actually. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a producer at the BBC and he's a very knowledgeable guy. And he's saying that like a younger generation don't have the same hang-ups. I just want to back up a little bit to where yeah. I was talking about this acoustic guitarist though, because um, basically recorded acoustic guitar tracks and let him do all his own timing. Mm, And then you can get the click, I mean, per beat. You know, it's absolutely, it follows all the contours beautifully. And then I export it out from Melodyne as a MIDI file, so essentially as a tempo map. And then I use Cubase for this project. It does an astonishing job. The the Cubase one is very good. I did a little tutorial for Sonic State uh, a couple of years ago, demonstrating the Cubase one, which is really good, Mm. but when Melodyne brought that function out, it just had just it was just even better, really. Yeah. Um, so I'd use the Melodyne version of it, but then I bring it into Cubase, and then once it's in Cubase, then the grid, all the bar lines, everything, It'll become are locked to the acoustic guitar That's part. Amazing. So what that means then is you put the click track on. The click track mm-hmm. follows the guitar. So we retrospectively added things like drums. Now adding drums to a non-click guitar is one of the nightmare scenarios. It's absolutely terrible to do that. But this, by having a click, you can just, you know, if you've just got that, even if it speeds up, you can follow the tempo moves. It's amazing how that actually happens. So anyway, we tracked up everything, but what it means is that you can just quantize. That's kind of the thing.
0: But but like yeah, quantize the drums to the, like, to the innate, guitar. To amazing, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you get this thing you see, and this is what dance music always had over electronic dance music had over musicians. And this like nineteen nineties thing I was talking about before, is that like if everything is quantized, you get this thing of the physicality of sound as those speakers, all of those sounds are coming out together mm. you're getting almost like solid sound you're getting like yeah, a yeah. physical thing coming out when everything's more or less in time you know played by brilliant musicians but like all of the, the the all the kind Every of transient smeared just slightly smeared
0: yeah. yeah so you get like you know so dance music would just sound incredibly punchy and really really loud if it was properly mm. and that's that is what people talk about when they say like oh i hate the timing in ableton's terrible <laughs> and it doesn't sound and I've, I I generally am a bit of a, like, sourpuss when it comes to those attitudes. I'm like, don't be so fucking, like, high and mighty. Like, it's fine. Yeah, Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like again, it's will yeah. it affect sales? Will it, it affect, <laughs> right. I haven't asked you any questions. I suppose we we actually oh. have talked about a lot of the things. What was oh. that? Let me think about, I remember when I first met you it was at green man, and I was crossing a field, and I was like, you probably get this a lot with people coming up to you and sort of... Like doing mm. this as if they've <laughs> known you for like years <laughs> yeah, and years yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a, Yeah. Because you obviously have a very friendly personality so people yeah. are like no you're not they, gonna be like right. Fuck <laughs> off, mate, I'm off the clock. Yeah. Like um, oh, I but should, you, should do that. You isn't? should try that <laughs> at least one person. Oh, God, I'm God. really God. sorry. I just needed to do that at least
1: once. Just there. well, well, well I've, I've had a few weird situations where because I've been doing like the podcast for you know yeah, uh, yeah. the Sonic State one for such a long time now, and basically I've had I've had some really wicked things in my career. You know, like the kind of underworld stuff and um what, underworld? Stuff. Yeah, the band underworld. Yeah, what? Carl Hyde, the front man. I, I I'm his bass player. I toured the world with him, doing all sorts. Of Done major gigs with him. What? Yeah, that was interesting. that's Brian in Eno's, uh, working with... up Brian Eno <laughs> is interesting. <laughs> went to, yeah,
0: I'll he... oh, go on then. Well, well I mean, that was me him. him.
1: That was kind of funny story, really, because what it was was Carl wanted a bass guitar, and I helped him buy this bass guitar. Sadly, it ended up being not working properly, oh, but definitely. that's another story. But. um Carl said, "Oh, can you? Is there any way you can bring it to me? I'm in a studio in in, in London, and I kind of suspected because I knew you, you know, because actually, were you like when yeah, I was I'm working in a cab right When I was working with Carl, actually, the album, um, there were various you know collaborations, and in fact, the the Carl Hyde band. So we were playing; it was built sort of Carl Hyde, but you know, with Underworld sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were playing You're Underworld material. Yeah, we worked in the Under, you know, it, it was the Underworld kind of. It was the the whole Underworld sort of." Um, System, uh, System, yeah, as it were, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the what the
0: underworld system is. Well, it? um,
1: like uh, road crew, and yeah, yeah, I say road crew, road man, right? Um, because underworld have got a very uh, because it's just mainly two it's of them, it's pretty simple,
0: like they set up on stage, it seems. Yeah, from, from yeah, like where I'm like watching mm-hmm. videos and I'm like freeze mm. framing. Pro tip for people, did you know that if you press if you pause a YouTube video and yeah. you press comma and dot, it lets you advance and freeze frame and frames, yeah, frame no. it, which oh, I've hey. used, I'm not going to lie, I'm not saying I haven't used that to like peek at people's gear setups in that flash of, That's you know, when amazing. Was, like, when gears like videos where like yeah. gigs are shot, mm. electronic music gigs are shot mm-hmm. by people who are like, show the person. Yeah. And every dweeb is like, yeah. show, show the gear. <laughs> Don't
2: show the person. Yeah. <laughs> Don't
0: care about him. Okay. Anyway, yeah, mm. sorry. So I've, I've looked at what they're, you know, I'm, I'm looking mm. at that and how they do it. Oh, it's fascinating how they work. Yeah, I mean, and like, I had a
1: great insight into all of that. Um, But what happened with Carl in 2012 in the Olympic, the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, Underworld were the Ah. musical directors of that. And uh, the music, what? the soundtrack to the lighting of the torch, you know, that was Underworld, had done all of that. And they worked with Danny Boyle on that thing. And, and everyone totally thought it was going to be terrible, this. but it was amazing. Of course it was. It was ter- amazing. It was, I really, I would yeah. like
0: proper tears in my eyes. The yeah. whole thing yeah. was like, this is fucking yeah, great. Yeah. Like, this is actually something
1: good. <laughs> but I mean, Underworld, <laughs> Underworld, a, a super high quality act. You know, the thing about like electronic acts and the idea that you could essentially be just running back in tracks and do, you know, fairly small. Tweaks, tweaks, surface. there. Yeah. See, Underworld hate that idea. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, yeah. I think they were on Jules Holland a couple of years ago, but the, it took them years to get onto it because they wouldn't, and um, they were like told by the producers, you know, that, that they'd have to do like a three and a half
0: minute slot, and they said, uh, "We sort of don't do that because, you know, it, their tunes are too long, or they just yeah, don't. Or they they? Are, they, just, did they how much mm, is it on rails, and how much are it's they It's
1: completely on, not on rails? I right. mean, I. So they'll use. Um, I mean, I hope, I think I mentioned some of this, but I mean, basically, you know, they'll have like session in Ableton Live with literally thousands of clips. Yeah. So like, you know, so many variations. I mean, Rick Smith is just, he's got an incredible ear and an incredible attention to detail. Carl is is art. You know, he's the sort of, uh, you know, Carl is every single day has to do art in whatever that actually means you know whether it's kind of writing taking photographs you know making you know coming up with he's a very good guitarist Mm. in fact he was um he was the house guitarist at Paisley Park from Prince in the late 80s and he was working on various things. What? Yeah, Terry Nunn who was the singer of Berlin, the German band uh, Take My Breath Away, she went solo and Carl was, you know, and recorded Carl an album. Reed was the
0: guitarist at Paisley Park?
1: Yeah. Underworld started though, but Underworld's story goes way back. That's in 78. 1979 yeah, Carl was, was like- in a band called Screen Gems and then in Cardiff met Rick and then they formed a band they sort of morphed into this band which was called Freur But Frö was never written as a word. It was a squiggle. It was a squiggle. So, like, I mean, over here somewhere, I've got, like, the British book of hit singles. And when you look through it, there's all these names. And then you come to Frö, it's just this weird squiggle, you know. But this is really Carl. Carl is all about art. But it's quite interesting how he ends up at Paisley Park and then Prince changes his name into a squiggle. Right. There's a weird kind of connection there. Frö, they had a big hit, well, not in Britain, but, like, Italy and some other places, Germany, I think, as well. Uh, This song, Doot Doot. Uh, classic 80s uh, synth pop track, lots of PPG. How does it go? Um Doot. do. <laughs> <laughs> a great song, actually. And actually, on the tour that I did with Carl, we played Doot Doot for the first time since about 1985. People lose um, their shit. Yeah, they did. We really played nice. in um, Berlin, and um, there was a fantastic, a, a very famous German producer called Connie Plank. Yeah, um, indeed. And Connie had worked, awesome. with, um, had worked with Carl and Rick back then really? and, uh, his son was making a documentary about Connie and um, he came to the gig and when we played Doot Doot he was really really emotional it really effect- it's a very it is quite affecting Doot Doot it's great track <laughs>
2: it's
1: great Doot Doot it
2: would be bro. oh no it we'll is it well. it's quality.
1: Is it? I mean it's, it, it, it is of its time it's very you know it is very much um, you know like a 83 I think it came out this kind of art that's always been at the heart of You know, certainly Carl and and, and Rick's work, you know, is there, is present within Fru. And then Fru disbanded, but Carl and Rick stayed together and formed Underworld. They released an album, I think it was 87, under the first Underworld album. It's called Under the Radar. Underworld were like a guitar band. Mm. And then they were kind of, I don't know, not, it wasn't very successful. Rave kicked off, and they both just saw it as like another punk, essentially. And it was like a punk. It really was. I mean, we're using the word punk not in a musical sort of genre style, but in terms of a DIY aesthetic, yeah. in terms of like a kind of, uh, you know, outrage, you know, the, the, the press were kind of outraged about it. Mm. You know, people were extremely excited about it. It was seen as something quite disruptive to, to mainstream. And Rick and Carl were just, just drawn to it because they had yeah. already had several kind of careers up until this point. They, they brought with them something. A lot of the people who were making uh kind of rave music were just, just, it was their first music. they Yeah. Were, yeah, they were yeah. Making. yeah so was... Whereas they had, they, yeah. they, they brought something else to it. And when No Bass and my Headman came out, uh, it had a, I mean, for a start, there'd been various attempts to sort of have a front man, but it'd been more like novelty. And then they had like Mr. C in, in uh, the shaman. It was interesting with the shaman, you know, they, they kind of had those big hit records, um, and then... good. And then the... Yeah, yeah, Ebenes good. Ebenes good. Ebenes good. <laughs> Ebenes are good. I have to say, the KLF is one of the most interesting stories in music, you know? And the, the John Higgs book about the KLF, yeah. best book I've ever read, music book, right. is amazing. It just like... It just, it just kind of weaves history together. It is amazing. Can't yeah. recommend it enough. However, just jumping back to the Underworld thing, we'll all kind of come no, back no, together. No. It's um, like a Tarantino film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like... So... When No My Headman came out, you know, because it was, um, you know, Carl as a frontman was, was a proper frontman. But the music wasn't sort of compromised and, and worked beautifully within the kind of rave environment. But they brought like a kind of an artistry into it and a sort of sophistication. As I say, because in a way they had this, I mean, Carl is a sinister. Synaesthesia. he's got very he's strong colour. synesthesia you, so, is that
0: where you like you see hear he music sees, and you see colors he
1: sees color right. yeah
0: yeah he's got oh wow yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and it's um almost to a de, de, debilitating, debilitating extent extent yeah it's really strong so i mean so carl's kind of artistic uh output is almost it's almost like a a compulsion you know he's compelled to do things as opposed to doing things and you know for the fun of it for the fun of yeah, it yeah. Or, for, or for the for the uh commerce of it He's like he does it you know and I don't know if you've been following what underworld has done the last year they've been doing this sort of drift songs thing where they've been putting out a new track every single week it's just been this constant thing and it's quite interesting and it, and and this kind of typically take quite a long time between albums so this is almost like a kind of way of just challenging that by doing very fast and spontaneous stuff um you know and
0: it's really good these how do they put them out though like literally just a youtube video, yeah youtube video
1: yeah and you know all they've done all sorts of stuff they did that I, I, iggy pop collaboration fairly recently they've just been very very prolific so you know obviously when train spotting became like a, a cultural phenomenon and born slippy became this you know like, a, Icon. like a, an iconic tune yeah, yeah. <laughs> darren price who's like the you know uh he replaced uh the other darren darren emerson uh who they'd have a dj who was who would be part of their set it's kind of a bit peculiar how they would do this but i remember darren price saying uh, you know when carl you know when carl will pass his grave story here lies the lager man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they you know that relationship with danny boyle uh, yeah, was established c- yes, with, right. with with uh train so then danny boyle being asked to do yeah, the yeah. olympic you know that's the connection mm. and sort of uh, and actually they had done various things there was a, a stage show of um frankenstein uh like a West End before and and Underworld did the soundtrack for really? that as well, yeah, so interesting things, wow, but anyway, the year after the Olympic Games, there was a lot of very positive feelings towards you know, the wonderful job that Underworld had done yeah, there. Yeah. And so Carl chose that as uh, the moment to put out his um, solo album, which he'd worked with a guitarist called Leo Abraham, who's a brilliant musician, but also Brian was involved in that. Brian Eno's right-hand man is a chap called Peter Chilvers. And Peter was the guy who made the, like, Bloom and Scape and mm, the various apps. The apps yeah. But, but but also is a very, you know, type, you know, he pretty much whatever Brian's doing, Peter will be involved in. Um, Brian thought it was a good idea for Peter, who wasn't a very good musician, but hadn't really done much in the way of like kind of touring. He thought it would be great for, for Peter to do that. So, so Brian suggested that Peter, uh, so Peter became like the musical director of that project. And it was a, interesting. It was only a four-piece band. It was um, Carl, it was Peter, it was myself and the wonderful Angie Pollock. Angie's a great keyboard player. She's been the keyboard player of Goldfrapp since the inception. Mm. Um, Will Gregory doesn't tour with Goldfrapp so angie 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 does it yeah but angie then also is peter gabriel's keyboard player as well so very very top musician a wonderful person and i'd worked with her the previous year on this opera in paris now that is another story keep that for another time because that's like that's about that i I can't even talk about that in less than two hours (laughs) um but uh so i'd already worked with angie and, and myself so that was sorry so the four of us did that And I used MIDI bass throughout that Mm. project. So um, that was great. So we did a lot of underworld
0: material. It was being built very much, you know, as sort of like an underworld sort of. So they get you get you to play things which were sequins, basically. So it's like a classic kind of. What, of ta- what happened
1: was, though, Peter did um, new arrangements of the Underworld material, and um, we actually did try a version of Born Slippy, which was like a down tempo sort of version of it. But ultimately, that was actually rejected because people want Born Slippy you know, to be
0: like to be needs Born to, like, Slippy build up yeah. into like a banging tune. Mm,
1: but because partly because of the collaborations that Carl had been doing with Eno, um, you know, a lot of the music was actually quite. Um, uh, you know it was actually more ambient more you know th- we did have some up tunes and we did a, a great version of uh, eight ball that's quite joyous there's a lovely version of that from Union Chapel um, that I'm playing on uh, if you're interested to yeah. see see what that's like that's a that's a good one Uh, to watch Um, but we ended up doing um, yeah we had this fantastic tour I mean we headlined in Sydney Opera House on that which was an incredible never heard of it above (laughs) craftwork
0: oh right <laughs>
1: yeah um have heard of them <laughs> now un- underworld in japan have an enormous status much higher than they are in britain i mean you know they're a very very you know they're a top band in britain but like mm. in, in in japan they've got almost like a u2 sort of status and a really, really big band yeah but, i mean underworld are, you know they're you know like like in australia you know enormous band but also i remember they played a gig in jakarta to about hundred thousand people like indonesia massive you know so mm. They, they they really are, you know, very, very big bands everywhere. everywhere yeah. um, first time we were in Japan with Carl, I, walking to Shibuya Crossing, you know, which is like the Piccadilly yeah. junction of, you know, with all the... Have you been to Japan? No. I oh, thought so it's yeah. a place where, you know, in Tokyo, you have to go to Shibuya, you know. it's yeah. There's all these roads all intersect. There's all these kind of like um, like zebra crossings, and, you know, you often see time-lapse. Yeah, time-lapse, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that. Like
0: it's, 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 is basically... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so walking down into Shibuya and, uh, you know, like these enormous big billboards,
0: massive image of Carl comes up and
1: I'm going, Carl, look. And he sort of just kind of glances up and just goes, yeah, you know, it's like, it's just like, you know, <laughs> this is normal. Here. This is normal. And I, and I kind of thought, okay, I get wow. it. I get it now. Uh, and we, we did like, I mean, we were, doing big gigs i mean we were headlining sonar tokyo there. Mm. Sonar. we actually headlined at sonar barcelona as well um so we were playing great gigs you know uh, really high you mm. know. so it was, you know obviously that sort of stuff is is thrilling to do but also i mean because i was doing midi bass this opera thing that i'm not touching on really part of the thing i did that was I,
0: I didn't that was midi, MIDI, MIDI bass. bass on that as well and that's you trigger something else with the bass Literally, something else makes yeah, this Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, here I've got my Electron rig, which is all controlled by the MIDI bass, um, which I am going to be doing videos about. Mm. Um, it's astonishing, really. You know, essentially, I'm using the, the bass as a MIDI controller, but you can do all sorts of interesting stuff with it. Um, the different strings can have different MIDI channels on, so you can control, like, let's say, different sounds or different synths of mm. different strings. But also, there's a little switch, so I can send MIDI information. For instance, you know, I can do program change I can do uh, you know like one With of the a switch yeah, yeah yeah and do all, well actually what it does is all when I hold the switch up all the frets are switches there's a little panel on the midi base uh, so every fret on every string is a different switch, and like the little screen will tell you. So you flick the switch. They're, buttons, they're all buttons. Think, so yeah. So you can be like... If I want to change octaves, I go to fret 10 on the D string, and, you know, I can... So I fret... Do you play it. I fret it, and I flick the switch up, and it'll take the octave up, flick the switch down, so long as I'm fretting and switching at the same time. So, you know, it's a... It's the way you
0: said fretting. Fretting,
1: yeah. As long as I'm fretting. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, oh, that's quite amazing. Yeah, so this, I think I've done some of the most high-profile MIDI bass stuff. I think <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you know, it's you're a kind the of the biggest MIDI basser. In a way, <laughs> like for instance, some of the Eno stuff with um, Carl. Uh, that that you know, there wasn't really any. There wasn't actually any bass in it at all. So rather mm. than not playing on those tunes, I'd I'd have like kind of celeste sort of sounds through lovely kind Oh, of nice! And yeah. One of the nice things about the tour on that I was going. I had a two. Stacks. So I was. a a stereo rig on stage. Stereo bass. Mm. Can't cut that to vinyl, can you? (laughs) No, you can't. That's true. Uh, But it was great though because I would do a lot of kind of ping pong delay, sort of really sort of nice super stereo stuff.
0: What was actually triggering the notes, music? Like what devices were actually making the sound? Right for that
1: tour, I was using this little box down here, which is I was using a different MIDI bass system. I was using a Fender Jazz Bass with a pickup on, and using this thing called the GR55. Uh, And that thing's quite cool because you've got like four layers. You've got two midi synth layers and it's got quite i think it's uh xv era for those sounds sounds yeah. uh, and cuz that's the thing with those like modules actually when you get into it they're really sophisticated oh, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, but it is letterbox type programming a recent interview on uh, electronauts which is the electron yeah, yeah. sort of uh, with um, tom york Yes. That's, that's an interesting yeah. read um, yeah. and he's a, you know read he's, that. A, he's yeah. a huge electron fan as am i i mean yeah. like, for me electron is are the, they're the best. That's my absolutely favourite company hmm. in the music tech uh, game. I love their um, ambition. I, I think the the thing is they're so sophisticated as units. Um, like you know, say we're talking about say the Roland stuff as an example. They are sophisticated, but they're also Insanely kind of yeah, they but they're also kind less. of narrow in in other areas. Yes. Um, that there is a sort of our way or the highway, and, and there is that true. That's also true with Electron in a way, but they make these ridiculously sophisticated devices. That So when I'm, say, using the MIDI base, so this is my current MIDI base rig, which is using the Australian-made industrial radio MIDI base, the one I was describing earlier with the switches on. I can use it with that rig and do the most incredible stuff. I mean, I did a really shonky performance at the second Sonic State Live event, where it really was quite embarrassingly bad, uh, considering you know i should be a lot better <laughs> oh well but, but partly the thing is it's just the the the, the possibilities are so vast and it's just so interesting but um but the thing is because of the electron sophistication should we say it's almost like like the analog four is almost like like purpose made for my midi base right. because the four voices you know and like the way you can do things like polychain and i can either run it as four independent monosynths one per string or I can with a flick of the switch on the bass, I can then go to any of those mono synths and play it as a fully polyphonic mm. voice across it's incredible uh, and I you know I'm fortunate enough to have met a bunch of the guys at Electron who who were fab people I love Electron guys but um this box here uh which I'm going to be doing a feature about soon which is the analog heat from mm. Electron I think if you've got a recording studio and if you work in oh, or mastering what a bo- I'm going to do a thing about mastering with it yeah, yeah. because you know out. Yeah, thank you for depubing it. I just like moved. Uh, I think it was one of your beard hairs. Beard hairs. I know. <laughs> Unless they look they're insane. very pubic. They're very pubic looking. <laughs> I constantly have to justify that they are right. that's, beard that's hair. That's a beard. I can show you others. <laughs> Honestly, I, I molt all over my studio. That's why I never can sell anything. They're just too clogged, full of hair. That surely
0: adds value. <laughs> but. um...
1: That box there, that's Unlocate. a cl- classic yeah. example, actually, of Electron's kind of uh, uniqueness, in mm. a way. There's nothing like it. People say, oh, it's expensive. It's about, f- what, f- f- five, 600
0: quid. Yeah, but um, it's like eight, eight drive circuits. It's a stereo. It's got... Stereo AP filters. Stereo filters, filter like- if that was in a 19-inch rack yeah, yeah. and it had, like, thermionic yeah. culture... Thermionic it, culture. Then it would be... Yeah, thousands. Two and a half to yeah. three and a half thousand But, I mean, quid. actually,
1: functionality-wise, especially using Overbridge, you know, yeah. you can just drop it in yeah, as a plug-in. You've got the full
0: GUI on the screen yeah. there to control it. But, obviously, hands-on is great with it. That's the, I remember thinking that when it came out. It was mm. like... If it was a rack mount gear, you mm. if you would pay two 000, and a half thousand pounds and you'd never use it, yeah, because who, be yeah, who can be asked? Who can be asked? Who can be especially to do so, it f- on know. like a quick like, I just yeah. want to apply something to this one yeah. sound, just quickly yeah. chuck it out and return it. But I
1: mean, you know, because ultimately it needs an analog signal. Everything you do with it has to be done only one thing at a time and in real time. You know, um, so for mastering, you know, a lot of the time is you'll you'll only set up your whole project and then you'll render the whole album. And you'll in one. sit and watch so, it in real time. So, yeah. You know, they, so. It, you do you know it, it from a workflow point of view, just kind of slow things up a little bit, however, having a separate wet level control as well as a wet dry wet yeah it means you can you 've got so much control, and actually this knob or oh, well will be like an overall volume control of it as well you 've got such brilliant macro control of the gain staging it's um it's fabulous, and like the what 's something that a lot of people don 't realize with it is that those eight eight different circuits um this this an analogue EQ that goes with it and those are tied to each circuit. So basically Are well, they different? Yeah, different. Yeah. So for instance, like I did not say say that. you choose the saturation level, yeah. the, the saturation one. The the, the, the low is actually like a, um, is more like a bell in the low end, which is, uh, I think it might even be a. You're more a, like a bell in the low end. <laughs>
2: I'm
0: sorry.
1: I'm <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think it might be a Fletcher Munson bell. <laughs> I, might, I might be wrong about that. But basically, it's like a loudness. You know, it the, just
0: adds that, mass. It's interesting. Like, it's been um, tailored. Of course, yeah. that makes complete yeah, sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because, like, when you get into some of the more kind of hardcore you know they're, they're, they're tailored per thing yeah. and then you've got the stereo multi-mode filter at the end of it which is bypassable by um you know so you've got that almost as a separate thing and of course the lfos and envelopes and you can all lock it to uh, your uh, project tempo and i tell you what, what you know you can put just like a very boring um pad into it and just turn it into just the most delightful rude <laughs> kind of evil Mm. kind of it's gorgeous Mm. i i I, honestly i it it's uh, i don't know why it's not the best selling thing because everything you put through it gets better gets better it's a better because you can go if you go like to the clean boost for instance but ramp up the gain you get like a kind of mixing desk type of um
0: forwardness so, so, yeah, for, yeah like yeah.
1: forwardness yeah that's good the saturation circuit is glorious it's kind of based on uh like a kind of tape saturation kind of sound uh, but the enhancement again so basically those first three you have to go quite high up into the drive for it to sound like, like it's really overdriving. Doing, yeah, yeah. uh so you can use it in a beautiful enhancing subtle way so for um mastering you know like i love that saturation thing for mastering and using only a little bit of it uh with the you know oh you know so it's parallel processing really you're just adding just a little hint of it in there or there's a great thing as well for mastering which is like putting it into some of the really kind of nastiest stuff filtering it right down with a Mm. low pass and then just, again, just only bringing in a little bit of it. But you can use the envelope in a really interesting way with the kind of envelope followers. And I tell you what, bass guitar into it. It's marvellous. I mean, everything. Vocals. Right, when you're doing a mix and you just want to get that little bit of edge on there, just turn to this. Honestly, I, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's a mystery why it's just not... you because know it's in just, every single yeah. studio. I think everyone's like blinded by synths and just like synth, 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 synth. It's like yeah. when you, if you get into the modular thing, mm-hmm. people just want to buy oscillators and filters. Right. And people don't think about utilities. utilities. And Whilst this yeah. is a voicing issue or mm-hmm. a voicing improvement device. Yeah. It's those kinds of things which are more subtle and mm. which people are just less their appeal is less obvious. And yeah. they're the kinds of things that you only really evangelize mm-hmm. if you've actually used them oh. loads and like you have. Obviously. I'm sure
1: everyone who's, you know, the thing that that's got up its sleeve is the sound quality is supreme. Yeah, it, really it sounds sound good. It sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, see, I am a fanboy when it comes to Electron. I can't help it. I well, just gush over it. I just yeah. think the stuff is just amazing. And, you know, they're expensive,
0: but they're kind of... The the midi, really, not like no. uh, yeah. not when we compare them to like how no. much does you like? What's yeah. your most expensive bass guitar? Yeah, actually, it's probably uh, either
1: the, the waghorn there, which actually cost nearly four thousand pounds to make, <laughs> yeah, or this one, the MIDI bass, I think it's around a four grand sort of mark as well. Um, That's then a bit new, of word with some strings on it. That Ricky's probably about <laughs> two and a half grand. I got another, I got the new Stingray special, it's around. 2000 or, yeah so lots of money this is kind of places. it it's like yeah. and,
0: and then therefore i, th- I think yeah. it just comes from a sense of mm. like we've been we you know for mm. decades and decades and decades mm. like manufacturing has just grown and grown and grown mm-hmm. and things have become cheaper and cheaper and yeah. cheaper to produce mm. and it's just bred this it's cultivated this mindset yeah so but these like, things but we they aren't a lot for free these
1: aren't made in china though they're made no, in no. sweden so they have like a totally different
0: kind of you know, the, mm. way, the, the wage bill in Sweden is indeed, significantly indeed higher. Indeed it is. It's like with Amazon, we expect mm-hmm. everything to be very, very cheap, the yeah. cheapest it can possibly yeah. be, and we expect it tomorrow. Yeah. And it's like that kind of attitude mm-hmm. gets you so far until it starts harming the businesses yeah. that you love. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. it's a bit of, you know, it's the kind of bear injury thing where it's like, people just want the cheapest 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 thing and it's mm-hmm. like why shouldn't it why is it so expensive like, there's a lot of people who don't yeah. understand i mean i'm yeah. not both sides of the fence and i have seen yeah. i understand to a degree why some things cost what they cost mm. it's, and a lot of things that are cheap are cheap because they're kind of too cheap yeah and it's it's really hard to like make any money on them quite mm. honestly it's literally a thing well um, i mean I like beringer as
1: an example of they can have their, their profit margin it they can run, at, you know, because they've got the rest of the business to support. That they, they can go. And no
0: R and D costs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh, um,
1: sorry. But I mean, the other thing of the electron thing is, though, is they in, they do require. I mean, certainly, like the analog a headspace. Yeah. yeah, a, a big uh, investment of time because you need to have it in your mind. That's the thing, and it is like a menu divey type thing in that, you need to understand the structure of the synth or you know mm. what you need to understand it because the visual stuff that you get from it is relatively little you need to hold it in your mind and and i mean this is a good and bad thing you know because it is if you haven't been on one for a while come back to it you go oh
0: here we go like, again yeah, yeah we yeah. gotta get back I'll into this that.
1: yeah however you know it, you know as i say i i put um you know i'm fortunate enough to have a bunch of the electron stuff um the first one i bought was the analog four there and um and that's a super thing i mean just that as an analog processor just running things into the uh to the inputs there and it, it is, a, is a world unto mm. itself you know um i'm torn by it really because i love like i'm a big dreadbox fan you know and dreadbox are almost the stark opposite of uh of of an electron thing where, you know, it's completely what
0: you see is what yeah. what
1: you get. And um and also something like, like the abyss, which, you know, the abyss, the little four-voice part. Yeah,
0: yeah, with like, core, it's got chorus and delay, or has it got just
1: mm. delay, yeah. Yeah, and the sort of chorus, it's got a thing called the reflector, which is like, a, so you can get all sorts of kind of modulation sort of stuff from it. Um, yeah, I you just, it's, I mm. think it's the
0: aesthetics that mm. uh, sometimes mm. put me off a bit, like mm. almost too... I had to put this like two toy in and maybe in just maybe it's also just typeface like for example I have right. a real issue with so like,
1: the, you've got an issue with Demetra then rather like, than with
2: uh, <laughs> so you know how they it's work It's typeface
0: no all oh, right you see cuz it's Dimitra
1: and Yanis Yanis right. does the engineering side yeah, of things yeah. Demetra does the designs does the, the and she does all the kind of the, the graphics and the, the look aesthetics. and the aesthetics of it
0: Maybe it's just one of those ones where we need mm. like um you know like the I like love the, the look person who just, no exactly yeah. no and it's just so a, it's it just a taste, taste like, honestly it yeah. just is like the the wired modules in Eurorack, which have mm-hmm. got those kind of like Lord of the rings like fonts I'm just like uh, mm-hmm. like I just can't right. like fonts matter like tasteful <laughs> tasteful design like there is mm-hmm. a certain aesthetic and it matters right. because we're yep. musicians yep. and we're we're emotional beasts, and mm-hmm. my like mm. The gut feeling I get, it's like that whole Marie Kondo thing about, you know, tidying up is to do with how how delightful do you find an object. And if I just look at it, I'm like, oh, like this thing is just wonderful. Then I'm going to want to stare at it for, for, for like hours and hours. It matters. Like yeah. a little aesthetic choices yeah, yeah. matter. Maybe that's, that's why I was, like with the Mind, And it's mm. like, it's a cool machine, but it, it, aesthetically... Kind of s- not, yeah, it's not, beautiful. not pretty. I don't is think it? anyone, no, does anyone think that's a beautiful mm. looking device? Whereas the electron stuff, yeah. absolutely. Although, I don't know about the gray, yeah, that's that's what about the octotrack gray? It's kind of military, it's sort of, yeah, it I looks kind of prefer, like th- a
1: military. I th- unit. can see what
0: they, they're going for, like the old school, like Lindrum look, they're going for, like, back when machines were big, mm. and like, <laughs> you know, your drum machine's this big.
1: Yeah, it's I, funny cuz numerous people prefer the look of the older the older Mark ones. Um I I I love the Mark 2s. I think they just oh, and they are just they they they're, they're, they're a definitely uh you know a, a step up in terms of the usability and actually the analog four Mark 2 does sound it definitely sounds better. Mm. For, there's been a few tweaks to the circuitry, yeah. but um aesthetically there are I think they're lovely things, but um Like the neutron is quite an interesting one because lots of people have a real issue with the kind of all the well the red, but also all the kind of. I think it's all right. Yeah, I think it's good too. But I mean, you are getting doing something different. Yeah, (laughs) but you're getting people offering new faceplates, faceplates for it and stuff. So you know, I I like that side of things that you can kind of customize it. Yeah, grab that there. This yes. OPZ. OPZ. Now, this is an interesting one. This upsets that, the OPZ.
0: I think that's aesthetically beautiful. Ah, interesting. I really like yeah, it. Yeah,
1: because some people, you know, they say, oh, it's just like, it looks like a remote control. And I go, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. It,
0: it absolutely looks. Like yeah. A
1: remote, it looks like a Braun remote control. <laughs> yeah, which bra- is yeah, yeah, very
0: nice. So, I tell you what,
1: though, treating it like a remote control is pretty awesome, right? I, I do this. I'm going to do a video about this because it's just too good. What you can do is. There's a 16-track sequencer in here. Some of the tracks are dedicated to like a DMX, uh, so you can you know light you, lighting. Yeah, you DMX, can do you, you can do a right whole show. show. So you can do yeah yeah lighting. You got a DMX. You can do like you know you can also be controlling your projections and visuals and and you can sequence all of that and you know. But if you're just using it as a MIDI controller, each of those 16 tracks are just like 16 tracks, which have got all of these. Um, step components Mm. available to them this takes the electron idea of kind of parameter locking to the next level Uh, but what's really cool is like bluetooth i can sit relaxing in my chair i said i love this when people say it's a remote control go yeah look at this so i set up a, a a project i've done it with about eight instances of omnisphere and all the sequencing is coming through this wirelessly i sit in my chair i choose my track set it off add loads of the sort of the step conditions to it you know rec- reclining in like a slouch like because you meant to slouch with the remote control and and it's like the most amazing remote control uh, so and you know what that's now the latest update on that it's got a turbo feature what you can but, do is I don't know,
0: it's got like a it's got marbled yeah. there's almost like it looks like a... you've spilled beer on it but it's actually it's like got a marbled. part of the
1: thing is it's a new material it's meant to feel like paper to the touch which is kind of interesting yeah it's got a kind of stony marble mm, um but what the new update allows I and mean, you might be aware of this if not you might this, this is pretty cool it's an audio interface connect that to your phone or to like The iPad Pro is quite cool because you can just go USB C to USB C, just a straight connection. And then you can directly sample digitally off YouTube straight into it. (laughs) And actually, it works really well because, like, you can just, you know, or I say YouTube, anything. I mean, YouTube is just the most amazing sample. Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and like it's just now. Like, is it's it co- never Cootie been Man, easier. the guy who did like amazing like sample collage, but using clips from YouTube. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like cool. Bernard Purdy on the drums, and, right, like, yeah, right, we're mixed with like it's just some random kid doing a flute practice. Oh yeah, so it's like, like, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: um, but like, yeah, you can sample directly. You know, just it's it's the easiest. It's so cool. Yeah, um, I mean, this is hmm. this is good. I mean, this is what we need. Yeah, well, people people sort of see it as. Kind of inferior to the uh, OP1 for various reasons, um, which we have one here. Something that's just quite cool as well is that you can just take a USB cable and just
0: go out of here and straight into there. You could uh, kill a man with that, couldn't you? I mean, yeah, like that is a. I reckon you could kill a man <laughs> with that like down the throat, <laughs> Ooh, like an alien. <laughs> oh, with a magazine. Awful. Anyway. <laughs> A little diversion.
1: Just completed Alien Isolation.
0: Oh, Jesus. What a game. I've got Alien Isolation. Right? What? It was too stressful for me to complete. Oh, I've also got an Oculus Rift. Oh. And I very recently activated the... Oh. There is an amazing man. He's like a... I think he's... Is he Norwegian? Or he's like... This dude has basically done a VR... that Alien Isolation contained the code to run a VR version of it. What? And... Um, oh, God, that would be the com- scary. Yeah. Um, well, it was in it, and mm. then there was an update mm. that stopped it happening, or it was like oh. the, what, the full commercial version did not. They, they stopped it. And this man has reverse-engineered the machine code because, like, wow. he doesn't have access to the original code, oh. so he's kind of reverse-engineered oh. the code over many, many months and probably wow. years to activate the feature. And all you have to do is drag a DLL. This is really nerdy. You have yeah. to drag a DLL file. Yeah. Into the folder, yeah. and it kind of just side loads and just tickles the co- tickles the engine and activates all of these circuits effectively that were built, or these, these bits of code, and so I've got it in, in and I'm, I need to play it, but I'm I don't know that oh, that will God. be a positive experience. I know, but the thing is, like, like I think we saw some nice. we
1: saw some stats about how many times the alien had killed us, and it was over a hundred times or something each one of those was a traumatic event, you know, when it pins you down and it's got you and then the little mouth comes out. (laughs) And the thing is, I play in my living room uh, with an Xbox One X. It's nearly four metres across the screen. is huge. Oh, you've got a projector. Projector. No, it's got really big. The no, yeah. TV's not really. No, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are seeing the alien, and it, and, and, the like, dro- ah! and the drool, the oh, drool. It's, it's all almost, like, almost like, like drool filling the, your vision. All those like, almost like mirror-like teeth and a drool, and then that little mouth comes out. And then, honestly, after even a hundred deaths of it, it's still gone. Because like you're hiding, you're hiding in a little uh, locker, and yeah, it yeah. comes up and it starts sniffing, and you've got a button to press to hold your breath, you know. And you're holding your breath for real, and it's sniffing around, and uh, you know, because that alien Geiger's design, I oh, think, no, is it's, still it's, the, it's, ultimate, it's ultimate the ultimate, the ultimate design. It's I think, the, yeah. I think,
0: and it's the thing that really, I was, you know, it really bugs me in Hollywood films the use of jump scares when hmm. slow creeping, hmm. like, like if you're James Wan, the director of like all of these like jumpy scares, like the sort of poster boy of jumpy scare films, and I'm like. I wanna I want James Wan to direct a film where you're not allowed to have like a jump. A jump sk- single single jumpscape. Yeah, like you're yeah. not allowed like a, to have a one. Because oh, it's any, very yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. It's just, any one of us yeah. can go yeah. like <laughs> if I do it at the right time, you're gonna be it's gonna be the fuck fl- yeah. you're gonna mm. shit yourself i tell you
1: what I loved about Alien it's Isolation. I know this is a deviation, though, is that they used the 1979 th- original film as the aesthetic throughout. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's everything's got like a nice late 70s kind of look I, I pop my ear cut
0: like, like, with it. that so I can really hear you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's
2: quite so, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what's that, ever that's since what... Everything's CRT screens. It's such a and beautiful
0: a- aesthetic. Chunky
1: tape machines. And, yeah. But it's still brr, kind brr, of... Size, brr, brr, it's like... Like, I'm really,
0: yeah, the, six and, the graphics and green screen. <laughs> Everything feels very, like, yeah. Um, functional. Yeah, That was that was what's so brilliant about the set, like, the production design. Yeah, like, brilliant.
1: But they, I was reading a, uh, an interview with one of the guys, and uh, the original people who worked on the original design of the original
0: film were really helpful and provided mm. them with all this. The Infographics. They, actually, they designed infographics for, like, the keys and, like, the mm, screens mm, and stuff. It was like, oh, Ron yeah. Cobb is the... the right. Is it Ron, Ron Cobb? He's, like, the, the, one of the dudes who's, like, this sort of... Mm classic um, artist. Yeah. And also the uh, Mobius Mm. who did the... the like costumes oh, like yeah. the the suits yeah. you know the suits which are like samurai yeah. inspired by like samurai costumes yeah. just Amazing. just so good yeah. like such a great a great soundtrack
1: on that game as well i know we're talking mm. about games but no, 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 i think that's not, a bit yeah, of a absolutely. bit of a bit of an underrated masterpiece in my opinion alien isolation hmm. is like mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's a guy uh, i follow on twitter andy kelly who writes for pc gamer mm-hmm. and he's like greatest game ever is alien isolation he's oh, like literally he's like holds it no. in high regard and i oh, totally on, know i can I'd, totally see yeah, why I would actually put it up I there, totally actually. get it um, it's it's terrifying I
1: recently I see recently it's a good few months ago completed uh Red
0: Dead Redemption 2 I mean, I've, I've got that but I've not anywhere near completed my
1: goodness what yeah. what a joy what a journey yeah what an amazing thing did you have have you reached the midpoint with the D'Angelo um bro wait what No, do not I don't want anyone to, want to no. say yeah sorry well I've just even mentioning that but what but i mean just bringing this back to music i think is is interesting how um you know like a game like that uses music in in very very interesting ways um and you know i it's almost i think computer games is, you know and and that's a classic example i mean my goodness you know the money and time and resources mm. that's gone into that is phenomenal, phenomenal. it's like absolutely quite phenomenal but i mean in terms of just uh a work of unified art because mm. the uni- you know, everything is so amazing in terms of just how like the, 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 the sound design, the, 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 the graphics, the, um,
0: the storyline, mm. the acting. It's the beyond, it's work. like a film in the sense that no, films like, combine all of the arts, yeah. like words, not music, all the art performance. No, what about the other art? The art of gameplay. Well, but that's my, well, my point. My was going to be like ahead. a film is like <laughs> yeah. all of these things, yeah. and then yeah. computer games have all those elements plus <laughs> they have in, the interactive elements yeah. as well. And
1: like, I mean, I mean, it took us months to complete. You know, it really was a.
0: And you've still not obviously completed like no, not really. probably half of the game. You oh, know, there's absolutely. all other sequ- oh, stuff that absolutely. you can just go and do. Yeah.
1: But I, mar- I marvel at that. You know, mm. I marvel at just how
0: well it all comes together. You know, yeah, in the end, and it's not like these disparate bits. We That's should probably... Cool. I'm going to wrap up, mm. but with a final question, which is okay. the same question I've been asking everyone, which okay. is first question I'm going to ask, so <laughs> we're having two and a half, three hours in. Yeah. But what is the... What, for you, mm-hmm. what is the future of music technology? Or what does it... Let me mm. clarify. A better way of putting it is, like, yeah. wh- how can technology, how could technology make your life easier?
1: Ooh. well... I think what we've seen recently, and I think a good example may be the well, there's a few examples I could, I could think of the Polyend Dreadbox Medusa, which mm. is this hybrid analog and digital. Uh, From two device. different companies as From well. D- two With, different companies. You feel like
0: didn't know each other, and right now they're just like made yeah. a baby.
1: But also the Arturia uh, uh, Microfree. Yeah. Um, this idea that this melting of, the, of this analog digital. Yeah. World, You know, this kind of coming together, you know, uh, being able to use the best of both worlds, I think is, is really, really cool. Mm. Um, Also, I think the whole kind of um, non-computer, you know, things like the squid from Torais, for instance, you know, which essentially, that's a
0: sequencer. Uh, oh, of course. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the pioneer squid thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah.
1: they want it to be Taurise now, don't they? Taurise. To, is it Taurise?
0: not Taurise. Taurise.
1: Yeah. Taurise. Taurise. And they're like, trying to, like, I think, Amos. I tell you what, my Taurise. <laughs> when I've been on a <laughs> lot, I, I've got a totally different, totally different type of Taurise. But um, some of the things like that. about
0: your that. Oh. <laughs> so, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
1: Um, but uh, yes, that sort of thing, which um you know we've come to demand a certain amount of power which a computer gives us and sort of like in these kind of doorless jam type situations uh you know the lack of a, a central kind of, brain well, super yeah. brain so you talk about the circle on as an example yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. centralizing things but having this great connection and having not having to have a computer involved in the situation so i kind of sort of see that as something um uh, you know the tori's uh, squid is 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 a good one in that yeah, it's yeah. actually you know lots of the sequences have come out you kind of go well mm, okay does
0: that have things that really let you really automate things and truly that's what's good about the circline is it's very easy yeah. to to create automation. I a lot easier than it is more fun than it is on i did a
1: little feature on it in in super and beyond that i mean i'd love to get my hands on actually yeah. um to, to put it through its paces but you know like the engine as well is another one that's kind of you know,
0: that's the entropy. Is entropy, entropy yeah. engine the secret yeah, of the yeah, uh, white box? Yes.
1: Yeah. You know. And then obviously, I would say the circler. So it, things uh, that is
0: for you, it's just getting away from the computer.
1: Getting away from the computer. Yeah. A screenless kind of way of working. Yeah. You know, you might need a few screens for utility purposes, but you're not staring at a screen
0: to allow muscle memory uh, muscle to memory, take over
1: and to not, yeah, to not be tied to a yeah, monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I mean, I think um, samplers, are, you know, are still, you know, like the Octatrack. I, just, track I is, just
0: rebought my. My old sampler. Oh, did you? Literally. I've um, but I've got the actual, actual one. one. <laughs> <I got laughs> Which my, one is it? Oh, the A5000? Yamaha A4000. A4, I
2: yeah. Couldn't afford the
0: 5000 <laughs> <laughs> I think I made the money. Even though it was <laughs> fucking right. expensive back then. Right, it was 800 right. quid. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, you know, I mean, we've
1: seen the Akai S range at the unbelievably cheap prices. and well, I mean, But it's you know, changing that. It's
0: going back yeah, up. Yeah,
1: it's going to, bound to. Because those things do sound good. Yeah, you, yeah. They do sound good. So, um but I mean, like the Octatrack was and is an incredible device it's incredibly hard to use and really frustrating however it is unlike anything yeah yeah so i still f- and, and and sort of exists in a in a world of its own however the idea of just taking real audio in and being able to sort of you know mess with it granular kind of stuff which the OctoTrack can sort of do but obviously the gr1 from tasty chips mm. is a nice desktop sort of sampler kind of yeah. you see i'm all about the desktop unit you know i don't do modular because um <laughs> I mean, this is a it's this is enough uh, yeah i mean i've got i feel i'm i'm, I'm playing chase i'm play, playing catch up with so much kit that i fear that you know modular would just you know well, swallow that's impossible swallow me up and um, no one can catch up yeah, with modular so i so. i mean so i am modular really yeah, yeah, in that i've got lots and lots of boxes like, which all, i tie together all my
0: modular synth if like i could actually dissect my live system to mm-hmm. you, you would be like that's just the equivalent of five things on the table. Yeah, yeah, I have the same thing. Right. So I mean, so so
1: this thing I'm talking about, like you know, with uh, like for instance, maybe the Eyes squid. You know, having having something that you can make music on, and you know, and to, tie to, together, communicate to communicate all these affordable boxes and pull these boxes that, yeah, yeah, together, together, yes, yeah, without having to go into a computer. Uh, people would still say, well, surely if you use a computer, or, or you know, the way I have been doing it is using machine as a midi sequencer to allow you to yeah and you're and not actually, but you're not looking at a no very
0: large one turning but, the screen yeah, yeah. off
1: there and just relying on the information from the screen so i've got two three. in fact i've got three machines so i kind of i think machine is very undervalued as a midi sequencer mm. as a hardware midi sequencer do some fantastic oh, things where you have each pad is uh is going to a different monosynth and then you know you can kind of you know if you break it out into a um into the keyboard mode you know, you can. You know, I can select my Erebus or my Neutron or my yeah, yeah, Abyss yeah. very quickly. You know, very quickly, yeah. And you know, you can set the colors up. I set the colors up to try and
2: match the Resemble the machines, the machines nice. and stuff. Nice. Yeah, uh,
0: Does and it have you have a grey light for the or black light, <laughs> indigo black light. Yeah, but it's actually really, really cool to use it as. Based, a, the push is same. So anyone yeah. who's like, yeah. I want a circle on mm-hmm. and I would the best one in the world is a, a something like a the push. machine or the push mm. gives you a lot of the same experience all I would say though are you get up to
1: the price so what what are you getting you know if you add the price of a push and a the computer. Suite. and the computer
0: a computer yeah, yeah. yes but yeah. a, a push is 500 mm-hmm. Well, 400 quid with, yeah, or 500 quid with a couple of Ableton Live or thereabouts. No, Ableton
1: Live Lite, I think, isn't it? Does, oh, is it? Yeah. So I think well, to get it with the full
2: software. A
0: Circlon is like to, uh, what, well, fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 euros right, right. or something. And but then yeah, that's with yeah. no add-ons. With like, no add-ons. But, but yeah. my point is only you mm. can have a very similar experience mm. with, with something like that. If, if, if what you're looking for yeah. is the master controller. It was yeah. always my intention to do that with Push, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a on. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to try it with that. And it mm. it's good. It just, I would say the on is good in the sense that it it's what you were saying about you want a machine that like just allows you to sort of almost close your eyes and make music. Like I'd say the Circlone a bit better at that than the Push. Like it relies, it has a screen. But, you know, there are certain, like, short, clever shortcuts, the way it uses knobs, huh, where you push them two in mm-hmm. and turn the right one, and it'll make a little ramp that yeah, sort of ramps nice. up and down. So you yeah. can go ramp up, ramp yep. down, ramp up and yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which otherwise would be like, draw, yeah. a, mouse, draw a mouse. Or on something yeah. that traditionally had the yeah. knobs, would be like, turn, yeah, yeah. turn, 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 turn. Yeah. turn, 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 turn. Yeah, you yeah. can just turn two. Mm. And, and it's those sort of shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, maybe what you're saying and what could be could come is a sequencer where it is there's no screen. Can you mm. imagine if there was a MIDI Well I suppose Sounds there's the beat step beat pro. Yeah. yeah but yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. A sequencer that can sequence mm-hmm. 64 tracks, that mm-hmm. can sequence anything in your studio, but has no, no screen, screen. Yeah. of any kind. Well, I don't that's the design challenge because so. then you'd yeah. have to make it. The squid is sort of going that way. I mean, it kind of
1: relies on the screen for settings, but it doesn't actually rely on the screen for, for feedback for a kind of like visual. a play line, to tell you know, you like a timeline
0: where your settings are. Yeah,
1: yeah. So and, and and some of the you know the visual feedback comes from the lighting up of the pads.
0: Uh, I tell you one one piece of kit I'm really
1: looking forward to, and it does tie into your question really is from isla instruments makers of the chord bot that's behind you there they the sp2400 yeah called the sp2400 what's cool about it is that it's it's right. got a mode sure. where it virtually you know where you can emulate the workflow and the sound as well of the sp1200 but they're calling it the sp2400 it's got like a so it's got like a, you can run it a full 24 bit so so you you know so you get the option of that but i think one of the really smart moves is each of the i think it's the eight voices they can all be you can run them as like kind of as as sample playback or you can make it a looper you can make it a lo- oh. so it's going to be like a loop station really like an eight channel loop station or with real-time looping
0: oh, facilities nice. yeah like your rc 505 like, or, yeah, but but similar. with banging 1200 bit 1200 bit and mix and 12 bit or whatever it, mix and whatever match it. that
1: and again, yeah, and I think that comes back to the, the question really about what's, you know, I think like, like, I was talking earlier about how young people just sort of don't seem to have the hang ups or, you know, or the, you know, they, they just take, you know, whatever's best and just roll
0: it all together, you know, into yeah. something. Stop being so fucking high and mighty about what piece of kit it is. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, and to sort of just make some music with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: the old adage of all the gear and no idea, I sometimes feel, oh, God, I'm a... B-, you know, because I've gained so much
0: gear through yeah, doing all the Sonic likewise. and the views yeah. and all that. And, you know, and I'm kind you of gain going, more than you can ever learn. Yeah,
1: and I can't... You know, I'm saying a lot of things I look around, I go, and I've barely you know got yeah. the best out of that and well i mean like you know take the op1 for instance you know you can make that's that's phenomenal, like phenomenal. you have that, nothing, else, nothing else you could make you
0: can make you make amazing phenomenal yeah. music yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah exactly so i mean and it's just on know, a shelf
2: mixed in, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: with a, with a with a circuit above and the circuit is another oh, yeah. classic piece of kit that's just got better and better with updates i mean kind of frustrating in a way that the review i did an early review of the original you before know before it had all the before updates, it updates. Yeah, yeah. and and that that up, you know if people were to watch that review they'd think i'm such a arse. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know i'm saying things that it clearly can do so i mean you know fair Play to novation they did, they they've turned mm. that thing they've turned it into and i mean that's still a bargain really considering you've got two f- sort of ultra nova synth engines in there as well as they opened up the sample side of things i wish the sample side of things was a little bit more Granular, actually. Mm. There's still, they, they, you know, I mean, and people are still kind of wondering when the Circuit Pro is going to drop, if that's something. And you know, I certainly think that it. I, I think that that was a, a bit of a runaway success,
0: as was the launch pads. I mean, the I was going to say, but launch, the, the, the only thing with this is yeah. this reminds me of the Dreadbox Medusa, which I don't think is mm-hmm. just people don't seem to have like grabbed, but it's more money, I suppose.
1: I think the thing with the Medusa is it's such a new idea. That this And it's such a lot of potential in it, but it really, I mean, like, like the new two, uh, 2.0 software for the Medusa turns the Medusa into a new beast, really. Right. The drone, if you're into your drones, oh gosh, I don't even know if there's a better thing than it. I think if the, the thing that the Medusa, I mean, I saw people criticise and say, oh, it sounds so dry. Because there's no effects in it. That's why it sounds it's dry. That's probably why it sounds dry, yeah. But I think that's a bit of a shame. It's like I think the mini if mode. It I think if sounds it had, really dry. <laughs> yeah. I think that it really would have benefited from an effects mm. in there as well, you know. And it's a mono, it's a that's mono a, device. A, that is
0: a byproduct of like the YouTube, gener- you know, or like mm. demoing things in shops and people being short sighted. I right. know that's why some yeah. the effects do get added to machines yeah. because yeah. they don't sound right in the shop. Based That's on right. the fact that right. people are demoing yeah. things in shops. Yeah, yeah you know, Or trying to move quickly doing a YouTube video. The, uh,
1: but, like, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, the, the Medusa, you know, it, it's a monophonic, not, not as, you know, as in stereo mono, it's a mono and you've got these six oscillators and I just think oh if they'd have done it as a stereo device where Mm. you know those six oscillators could have you know and you could modulate the the pan positions and make it I think that's the one thing that's a shame that it you know however the drone modes in there is just something it's unbelievable what you can do with it it's like the it's like the ultimate drone machine Uh, oh oh, saying that though there's drone facilities now in the in the the, um, this one's actually plugged in (laughs)
0: just yank it out sorry Uh, it's got better and better
1: yeah, yeah. it's got better and better I think you know sadly I think it came out slightly too early for the you know for and, the world uh, for, for the world for the world to like I, get it but also from a software point of view really if it came out now on the, if, if it was released now you know, yeah, yeah. as it is now you know people tend to sort of kind of write things off and that That's big awesome. keyboard on the top there That's the the Alesis Fusion. Now, that is probably the most... Feel how lovely those knobs are. Those feel really lovely. They're the
0: nicest knobs. Was this when they were doing, like, the Micron? and It came out after
1: the... Yeah, the Micron and the Ion and stuff. The Micron is a fucking amazing synth. It's fab. Well, that's got, like, an incredible version of that that runs... You can run, essentially, 256-note polyphony on that thing. That thing has also got, right, I think maybe 128 polyphony of the Ooh, of the VA it's
0: got, it's got like sort of um TG style desk like levers yeah. Oof, yeah. Nice. yeah
1: yeah that key bed is premium With Ooh. you know after touch lovely keyboard oh, yeah, yeah, and like... really nice full weighted one <laughs> it's also the engine the sample yeah as a sample and synth, you know it's like you, you 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 kind of rompler side of things uh it can do yeah that can do 256 note polyphony it's got an eight track audio hard disk recorder in it as well it can also do. Um, it can also hard
0: disk.
2: Yeah,
1: it's got oh eighty God. gig hard disk in there. 80, it can wow. also do physical modeling. It's got like I think a read and a pipe physical models. It's also got a full FM engine in there. Yeah, so it's sampling synthesis, FM, analog modeling, uh, physical modeling, hard disk recorder, eight channel hard, hard disk recorder, uh, and like. It had eSATA ports on the yeah. back there, although never... What I was going to say about it, though, the worst operating system yeah. of any synthesizer. It doesn't and have actually, a screen. It does. It's oh, on my it? iPad, it under the iPad. Oh, there, there, there is. it is, yeah. It's got like um, a sort of... Now, if you look, some of the st- and, and the styling of it was all based on 1950s um, 1950s um, American cars. The, the data wheels, based on a Buick... Uh, just move that, just chuck that thing out. Yeah, and uh, also the design was based on like dashboards from 1950s cars. That's a hubcap from a Buick that uh, is based on the 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 profile is I based on the a word wing. That is the base the base is uh, like if you look at the the profile, yeah, yeah. is based on a wing of an aeroplane. You know, it's got like this. Is this, this Axel um, No. It's not I, well. I don't think so. Actually, that's a good point. I don't think it is. He did it just do reminds the, me Andromeda, of, the, of course,
0: but it reminds me. But a if bit it was Axel the, Hartman, uh, he certainly Neuron he in did, that sort of styling. He, that. he
1: certainly didn't mention it in my. <laughs> no, no. Of them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because the problem with it is, um, I mean, this is a synthesizer that died by the presets right. because it really didn't sound very good. So people were going in and trying it, and also the screen—it's got this kind of monochrome blue kind of screen it was at the time when early phantoms Never and stuff were, were coming out <laughs> actually similar yeah and, and 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 in fact it looks ugly as sin on there yeah. it looks ugly as sin on there yeah. and it came and it came out when the phantom had just come out i think with a color touch screen and and and, and, the, and the v-synth the things with when it had so the screen looked really dated on it but the reason why i was mentioning it is that this was kind of killed by the internet this is yeah. an early um oh, internet internet death, death. <laughs> yeah just because it's publicly shamed, it was publicly shamed, and I think the OS that should have come out with a version two OS, you know, because like things like an eSATA port, it was never even supported in the software. So they clearly had they clearly Designed had a that, design that it for kind
0: of came to and,
1: and the amazing amount of stuff that you can do on it is really hampered by the OS. It, and I just don't know if there's enough of them out there to make anyone to make. I it never work a while ever
0: heard of this. Yeah, and I I consider yeah. myself a synth. Yeah. Nerd. colossal no. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of most yeah. Of it and that's I mean sadly me. its job mostly is rele- relegated
1: to
2: what master, you key- it master keyboard sort you of just quite use. use
1: it to but, like take it on the but then also not, not an awful lot of that because partly because of the fan noise when you've powered it up it's so noisy and the hard drives yeah. yeah yeah so but saying that I, I kind of kind of feel those knobs those, those no knobs no, they they've got
0: like a lovely yeah. like Some you like know kind of, throw yeah, they've yeah, got like a, a solid meaty yeah. throw it's almost like they're turning against like pushing back yeah and you know but i
1: mean just in terms of like you know uh, like the the potential essentially what it was was at uh, having a crack at doing korg, a korg oasis yeah you know like this yeah, yeah. all you know it's like trying to be the ultimate kind of workstation you know yeah, does, all uh, that it, stuff workstation on it.
0: yeah it was unfortunately a bit of a doomed concept i yeah, mean yeah. really yeah yeah well i mean because of these yeah. yeah because of these things yeah,
1: yeah. but uh, yes hmm
0: well, well, yes, well, Mr. Gaz Williams. Yes, thank you for your time. My pleasure. It's been, <laughs> been delightful. Yeah, right. And then maybe in a year's time, let's hear that opera story. Yes,
1: it might actually take a year to even <laughs> tell our story. <laughs> um, I can't wait. Yeah, there is a video, a rig run, opera rig rundown on Sonic State where I do a little thing. So you that, mentioned if, this uh, story. I talk. Well, you can see that. You hinted. Actually, it. the story would that would help illustrate parts of the story. Okay. But my goodness there is all sorts thrills, spills and everything Thrill, spills, in that story. And belly yes. Eggs. Uh yes, punk and opera. The punk and opera meet come together.
2: Holy yes. Shit. So uh, that'll
1: be a little kind of teaser for for part 2. But
0: um, thank you very Tune in, much. Folks. Yes. Thanks guys. Thank you very much. See you next time.
2: Mm. Bye bye.
0: Lord, love and protect, Gaz Williams. Thank you, mate, for your time. Thank you for having me in your gaff. Thank you for making me a coffee. Uh, <laughs> I was just remembering that when you made me a coffee, he, it was a beautiful posh coffee, and he ground the beans. And when Gaz grinds the beans in his house, he sings along with the grinder in pitch. Um, and so the two of us at one point were just like... Ah! It sort of got very operatic. Uh, I can't remember the exact note that the grinder plays, but I think that there is a particular note that it plays that he enjoys. Uh, Riffing on. That's how it goes down in the Williams household. Gaz Williams, I'm also going to reveal one of the facts about him visiting his house. His toilet seat is glittery. And I think that says absolutely everything you need to know about how fabulous Gaz Williams is as a human being. Um, I really want a glittery toilet seat. I feel that if you have a glittery toilet seat, it's a very important mission statement about how you intend for your life to be lived and conducted. Um, so yes, thanks, Gaz. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed it too, and I can't wait to hit the bloody opera story. Uh, I am going to put a link. There is actually some information about this opera tale. Online, But I think I sense that there's probably quite a lot that hasn't been said. That's for another time. And yes, this month and the last few months, because it's been a little while, it's been more than a month since I spoke to you. And I think probably beyond, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things happening in the world. But there is something cultural that I want to talk about, which is the death of Florian Schneider. Florian Schneider. Holy shit being, of course, 50% of craft work, uh, And uh, to, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to say that craftwork deserve to be on a similar plane to the Beatles when you consider their importance and legacy for a subset of music. You know, if for electronic music, there are obviously many, many roads and many pioneers, but so many genres snake back To the Minthofstrasse and a little studio there. There are so many genres that owe their legacy to craftwork being the real true pioneers. It's very hard to say that only one person is the true originator of something. We're all borrowing things from each other. But no matter what, craftwork are very, very important. And I bloody love the music of Kraftwerk. And if you've not had the opportunity to listen to it, or if you've maybe listened to it, this is my my judgment of what people might think about Kraftwerk here, right? This is what this is. I think that some people would listen to Kraftwerk and think it was childlike or basic or silly or toy-like music. And it's. I don't think that... I think that's completely unfair. It is it is exactly the music they intended to write. That, there can be no question. These are very, very, very exacting people who wrote exactly what they liked to make and nothing else, to the exclusion of actually releasing music for the better part of entire decades. I think of craftwork as the most distilled and crystallised Where. Every single element has a role to play and absolutely nothing is superfluous. And I do remember I went to FOP in London on a trip to London before I lived there. And for some reason, I thought to purchase Trans Europe Express because I think I'd been told that craftwork were very important to the musicians that I liked. And I do remember listening to Trans Europe Express for the first time and thinking, That's cool. (laughs) This is cool. Metal on metal, especially. I was like, oh, you can hear it sort of like a bin lid. They're clanging a bin lid, but it just is the best bin lid clang that you can possibly hope to have. It's the whole thing is the forward motion of a train, but it's not lame. It's really good. And then for me, I don't know what point I first listened to Computer World, but good Grief, the computer world is up there for me. That being one of the best albums ever made, if not my favorite album. An album that, when you listen to it, released in 81, I think, is very much the template for electro. Like those tunes, I have been in a club and heard them be mixed in with other electro tunes and with the right. To the right audience, certainly it's just like catnip. I mean, numbers, but especially the progression in the album from the tune Numbers into Computer World 2. I think listen to those two tunes together and listen to Numbers and then as Numbers transitions into Computer World 2, I feel like you can... In that very, very moment where the one track ends and the other begins, the music of Electro is invented. An entire genre. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. I'm getting slightly emotional.
2: Uh, Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't know. I, I get really teary when I think about really important, incredible and amazing human achievements. I get teary when rockets take off. I cried for the SpaceX launch. So uh, I reserve the same thing for kind of culturally significant Incredible moments. We, I mean, they would have had no idea what the significance of it is. And if you um, want to while away some hours on YouTube, I highly recommend that you go and listen to the uh, 1981 Computer World tour videos. <clears throat> There's some really good ones. Um, and that I've been obsessing over that stage setup and that sound. The very beginning, the ultra hyper electro beat and what they've got is they've got a um eventide uh, 1745m which is a a delay unit but that you could get the m um, it was a delay amazing concept it's a digital delay unit um and it had a um a module literally haha, a module that you could drop into the front of it which would add pitch shifting so that every delay would be pitch shifted And it's that sound. And so when you get a little snare, it goes like boing, because it's in a little like permanent in a little feedback loop going up, 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 up. Just like thinking about the audiences in New York, listening to the sound of that intro with like that wicked and it's faster than it is on the record, I think. And it's just like a crazy futuristic sound. It's sort of space, weird space funk, but like by white guys in Dusseldorf. It's just odd. But it's it's incredible. And I think about how it will have blown minds and clearly did. And then that mantle passes to Bamba and to Juan Atkins and, and then you get these people, the Americans taking this German music and and making it taste like a torch has passed from Germany to America and then back to England and, you know, all the sort of British musicians, a lot of the ones that I love are listening to all of this. It's just, it's great. It's still happening. Uh, We're all being inspired by each other in in different ways. And so I'm just glad music is is great. And I've been playing my son Francis Craftwork since he was a tiny little... Little newborn, I've been putting craft work on in the background and playing it to him. <laughs> he seems to be paying attention. He does kind of perk up and he's like, Ooh, what is that? These awesome little riffs. What is that, Daddy? Is it a mini mug? Uh, he doesn't say that yet, but he will. And um talking of Superbooth and gas Williams. Probably two or three years ago, um, I was at Superbooth, sat out. And Superbooth, if you've not been, is kind of like a festival, really. Uh, It's set in a sort of recreation centre on the outskirts of Berlin. And, um, you know, they have picnic benches and food trucks and music. And it really is like a festival. And I remember sitting on the benches... Uh, eating a vegan gyro. Uh, oh yeah, missed those. and chatting to someone and as I'm sort of looking, just sort of looking at the people around me and just sort of watching people chilling out, I clock so that two or three benches away from me sits an older man in a brightly coloured jacket and he seems to be wearing what I'm trying to research, a sort of patterned kufi cap, a kufi like a kind of like a little skull cap, but it's, it's covered in patterns and sequins. It is nothing at all like I would expect a robot to be dressed in. And yet it is absolutely one half of the founding members of the band, Craftwork. Florian Schneider just sat there like a normal person in the world, going about his business like a normal human being and not a legend I don't get weird about famous people necessarily, but when I saw Florian Schneider, I did stare. <laughs> because I was just like, wow, he's just there. That's just him. It's just a little person just there living his life, not a robot. And I think it all serves to say how important he is to me, and I'm not the only one. If you like electronic music, you owe a extreme doffing of your goofy cap to Florian Schneider. So rest in power, Florian Schneider. Thank you for the music. Let's keep listening to it and being inspired and let's make new music. So thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Signal Sounds and thank you for listening. I appreciate your patience please share this podcast. I really could do with your help to spread it further um, because releasing it infrequently is not helping me spread the word very much. Um, I'm not able to release these very often. Even a month is difficult. So yes, please, please, please help me tell people about this podcast if you enjoy it. Uh, There are lots of old back episodes. And there will be more soon. I'm literally sitting on two, like Smaug the Dragon. They have right there. One under each butt cheek. So there will be more. Thank you for listening. Be well. We'll see you next time. Thanks.